Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. I'm your co-host Arturo Surita, and joining me, I'm sure he's got some friendship braces to give me. He didn't go to the concert, but he can still stay at home and get me some. What'd you make for me? I, all I got is my uh, Camp Yellow Jackets lanyard okay, bracelet that's a good one. from South to, by Southwest. I was about to say, can't give me some Livestrong bracelet, bro. We've had those times, but uh, we are in the era of the Eras Tour. Uh, Zach ah. did not go make it out because he hates Swifties. I know he's a Beyonce fan. He's got his tickets for, for, the, for the Renaissance one. have all the way. But, bro, I... I, I I'm, it's not. I'm not a secret fan. I've been public about it. If you look at my old A to Z videos, mm-hmm. I used to have that poster of her uh, back in my uh, old room. I might have to go back to my old room to replace it with one of these. Uh, the queen, bro. I don't know how else to put it. The uh, pop star that has been crushing records when it comes to her tour has now come out and crushed records when it comes to fall, the fall movie season. Um, it, it was really interesting seeing all of the movies that moved away from her release because there was a, a point where um, before she came out, uh, a lot of movies had set their schedules for October. And then the moment yeah. that she announced, everything just like scattered away. And I didn't realize it until I was working on the let me explain for it. But uh, I'm sure if you went to go see anything, you probably heard the fans next door because that's exactly what happened to me in Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, it's like... When Barbie was huge and yep. you could show up at the movie theater and know, oh, they are here for Barbie for sure. The They're all in pink matching pink, pink. Uh, shirts or whatever. It's got that vibe too, except maybe it's more of like a uh, a level of excitement or a, a demographics vibe. But yeah, there's a lot of energy around the movie and it certainly was like a, a huge, huge event. I know you talked about it a little bit on the uh, video you just posted to let me explain, but what did you make of the whole, I guess, minor controversy, if you want to call it that around the, uh, people who had the gall to get up out of their seats at a movie theater during a concert film. I mean, look, you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Yeah. <laughs> people, people remember that that's a thing. To me, this is that. It, it, they're just not 12 a.m. showings. The, <laughs> the problem is that they're, they're, it's not people at midnight uh, at a theater going crazy. It's in the middle of the day. They're 3 p.m., 5 p.m. If you're getting a rental, whatever it is. And these theaters don't have walls uh, that, are, that are like that soundproof. It's mm-hmm. like the... Uh, the <laughs> The, the Sound of Freedom fellows, when they went out and they realized, wow, theaters actually suck and they suck so bad, <laughs> they started making conspiracies. I think it's just them realizing, like, yo, they're that loud. My personal opinion on it is that for any other type of movie, yeah, you kind of got to chill. Yeah. But let's not act like they're being so much louder than your average Marvel movie. All that's happening is that I, I guess people are annoyed on the fan base because in any other movie, that movie would still be just as loud. You'd be hearing it. You're just hearing everyone chanting now with it, but the movie would still be as loud. I couldn't hear people at my screening. I heard the movie. Like, when I was watching Killers of the Flower Moon, I had made a joke in the video because I had recorded it before we watched it that it was going to be uh, her song Mean. Mm -hmm. I cannot even write this, Zach. Zach, I can't write this. It is during a spanking scene in the movie (laughs) in full blast. (laughs) Her song that's playing is Look What You Made Me Do. It was such peak, I wasn't even upset. I may be the only person yeah. who had actually kind of amplified in a meme-worthy way uh, my screening for Killers of the Flower Moon. But I, I am kind of mixing it. 
I heard somebody else uh, heard a bit of anti-hero during Killers as well, which Bro, might, might be uh, fitting. Be? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Imagine like they, they contrast the the the, the drumming in <laughs> in Killers of the Flower Moon to the anti-hero. <laughs> the Robbie Robertson uh, score. That'd be crazy. That's the remix. Um, what do you think about it though? I mean, I think that you know, different movies sort of set the the template for how they're meant to be watched, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you go to a Marvel movie, you're going to e- expect clapping during some big heroic moments or when Cap exactly. picks up Thor's hammer. And when you go... Uh, to as you mentioned, Rocky Horror Picture Show, they're gonna there's gonna be participation or or a screening of the room where they throw spoons at the screen or RRR. We saw all the clips from uh, some of those jubilant screenings last year where people got up and danced during the big sequences. It, it, it depends on the screening, and obviously, like I, I shudder at the idea of having my experience with like the amazing new Martin Scorsese film uh, (laughs) in some way lessened because I I hear a bunch of preteens in the room over from me, but I also can't begrudge them from enjoying the film the way that I think it's kind of meant to be enjoyed. You know, like when I go to a concert, even if it's at a place that has seats, I want to stand because that's how I, you know, really feel myself feeling the music and and enjoying it the most. And, uh, you know, I, it's obviously not behavior that we want to see carried into most other films, but I I Mm -hmm. feel like this is a pretty exclusive phenomena, right? Like maybe we'll get some similar things happening during the Beyonce concert film, but that's, again, it's a music movie and I think it's different than your normal experience at the cinema. Maybe it's that we are both seeing this rise in like antisocial or, or, upsetting that, uh, behavior yeah. in movies and then this gave people an excuse to get upset about it but like I think this happening at Taylor Swift is very different from like when I went to Gran Turismo and there was somebody FaceTiming for half of the movie it, exactly there's so many so much garbage things that already happen on a daily basis when you're when you're such avid moviegoers like we are but uh, yeah, I see uh, Josh had mentioned stop making sense you know were we gonna stop them from wearing those suits dude and, <laughs> and popping side to side it's okay you, you want to go to these concert films to have fun and what's interesting is like with a movie like this uh, and the alternative type of content that they're putting into theaters, I think they're going to be showing more sports like that's not new. It's just not as prominent. But there are fights, you know, there are opera films and each one is going to have a different audience. And like you were saying, is it really an issue or is it people who just have a, a problem with a massive audience coming in? We saw it with Barbie. We weren't offended with it by Barbie. We all were in on the bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but here it's like I think they would have been just as loud. That if someone is complaining and they're upset because oh they're all dressed up, you don't say nothing when like Zach just put you come in dressed up as Deadpool, you come dressed up as anything else. <laughs> I think they were just upset because they didn't get these limited edition bracelets, Zach. Ooh. And I think for that, uh, haters gonna hate, 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 and yeah. Look, I, I thought it was a very uh, fun uh, concert film. I think uh, because it's done in the perspective of it being uh, just it shot between them as a, what's it called? Uh, just a movie in general, not any behind the scenes, not something like what I'm assuming Beyonce's going to do because they're saying that this movie wouldn't be eligible for awards because it's just a recording of that SoFi performance. Whereas Beyonce's is supposed to be the performance with a little behind the scenes. And I thought the Beyonce one that you did for Netflix, I don't know if you remember the name of that one. Homecoming, I think it was. Probably the way that they built that up, that 
is a cool way to get a behind the scenes stuff. I wanted to see a little yeah. bit more of that. You know, there's there's a, a moment when she like goes under and like is meant to swim across, but there's like a mechanic down below. That would be like probably for another documentary, right? I know she's got like a three uh, week streaming deal. So after three weeks, she's going to be able to be able to send that off uh, and sell it to a streamer if she wanted to. And at that point, she could add extra stuff if she wanted to, right. any behind-the-scenes things. But uh, as far as the theatrical one, it's just a concert film, and it's the best version of it that it, it could possibly be. I was not going to pay for those tickets. Mm-hmm. I could not pay for those tickets. I couldn't even find those tickets, right? But I think this is a perfect way to be able to um, have that concert out there for other people. And, I, and like I said, I think with sporting events, we see it always with those like, uh, Met Opera uh, live events. Yeah. I was hearing people talk about what other things could be out there now that we're doing this new we're in this new era of like you don't have to work with a studio to get something uh, into a theater. AMC is now distributing it it, it, it itself. I want to see uh, comedy shows, bro. Yeah. Well, uh, like the Chris Rock special we got. But even better than that, because the Chris Rock special right. – that's that sunk on Netflix. If yeah. you didn't see it live, like it doesn't matter afterwards. They're also not getting their money's worth because people are already paying that subscription. Mm-hmm. But Dave Chappelle, he's got tickets right now that are steep as can be. Right. And I know you can't do it at the prime of the tour, mm-hmm. but if you get it towards the end and you release it for like a one night only thing where you live stream it from whatever his like final show is going to be, I think they could also pull a, a kind of bait and switch. I don't want to promote a bait and switch, but the idea of being able to go see it, the worry being that they're going to release, you know, clips of people recording it because they're not going to get their phones confiscated like they would mm-hmm. at a stadium. But I remember watching the uh, Rocky Four director's cut. Yeah. And I paid money to go see that. It was a Fathom event. You can't use A-list or anything. And the moment we're sitting there, it opens up with a trailer that it's going to drop on Amazon Prime at midnight. And it's like, why am I here? I could have just seen it at home for the and, and own it. Right. I think you could do that for these comedy shows. Like, totally. You, you, you wait till the last stop. You have a one-night event where people can see it in a theater, laugh collectively. And then the next day, if you're worried about it leaking, just have it ready to go somewhere, you know? Yeah. So Mulaney, I think there's a lot of opportunities. Mulaney's another one who he's probably a big enough name that he Perfect. could justify it. And uh, particularly his last special, Homecoming King, I think uh, a lot of people uh, were yeah. really anticipating that, that cool. one because it was his return after a lot of uh, personal struggles and stuff like that. So, And those were hard hard tickets to get, too. I, I, I didn't see him when he went yeah. around. So, yeah, may, maybe Taylor in one way is also just opening up the door to the possibilities of what we can get in the collective theatrical experience, right? Because seeing seeing a movie in a theater isn't just about seeing a film. It's about seeing something with an audience that's all there there invested in the same thing you are. Yes, sir. I'm excited for it. Metallica did their live concert too, so I can't wait. Intercut coming live to Adobe Theater near you. Uh, the next one that we have is Killers of the Flower Moon, the newest yes. movie from Martin Scorsese that we're going to be doing an entire after credits breakdown. Uh, our Intercut Explains is going to be live right after the show right here. So I just want to know your quick thoughts on it, your theatrical experience. I believe you had the whole Q&A, the whole, the whole gang was there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to get an early screening that was uh, not just an early screening, but attended by several of the people behind the film. It was at the Directors Guild of America Theater in New York, which I think you got to check out once also while you were in town. From the outside, my man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, 
this is the only time I've been there and in the presence of Marty Scorsese, which was incredible. And also uh, Thelma Schoonmacher next to him, uh, next to him. Uh, a bunch of people from the uh, production design costuming of the film. It, it was like, it was a really intense pleasure to experience. And uh, I think Marty is just so forthright and so uh, disarming in the way that he speaks about it. You know, he feels like he's very, uh, very open emotionally at this point in his life. He speaks very, very much from the heart in addressing just his love for film and the amount of work he puts into these stories and what they mean to him. Uh, so, it, you know, it's going to be hard for me to not enjoy my experience uh, given all of that. But I, you know, I think I would have enjoyed it either way uh, because it is just such a, a massive movie and, and such a monumental achievement. I, I'm really, really blown away by it. Um, I think there's so much to talk about. So I'm really excited that we're going to dedicate a little bit more time after this live stream to really get into the details of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've actually had the chance to see it twice now. I also got to nice. see it on the uh, IMAX at Lincoln Square, which okay, we talked about me. in the past. And yeah, I mean, it it really demands to be seen in a, in a big way. The images are so striking. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a crowd that was really into it. You know, one thing that is nice about living in proximity to New York is that if you want to see a movie with a bunch of people who are going to be invested in fans. it, yeah. you can find those screenings. So, uh, you know, it was a screening where everybody applauded for Nicole Kidman before the movie. They oh. applauded when uh, there was the little message from Marty before the film. They applauded for uh, Lily Gladstone and Robert De Niro and uh, DiCaprio and Schoonmaker at the credits as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, I think to be to put out a film that's three and a half hours long and have a room full of jaded New Yorkers sitting wrapped for the entire time, it's it's a massive achievement. There's no other I mean, way around it. I mean, Seal's guy, it's New York. I was listening to an interview where he's just like, you know, I went to LA, they kicked me out. <laughs> when I think New York, I think this man. Um, I have a question for you in terms of the IMAX. Uh, I know that they were talking about it being optimized, but that some scenes were supposed to be one three three. Now the movie shot very like very wide, right? Like, yeah. Even wider than the screen would be. Does it go tall? Did you notice? I don't know if you're paying attention to that because that that's my thing on whether I'm going to see it again in Dolby, which mm -hmm. I'm like sat because of the soundtrack. But if it's an IMAX and it goes full, might be worth sacrificing my butt for that three and a half hours. The more <laughs> you know, uncomfortable. To be honest, seat. I don't. I can't tell you for for sure if it went full. I don't remember it going full. Okay. But uh, I was also. A little bit closer than I normally like to sit, so it felt uh, Okay, it was a packed screening. <laughs> yeah, it was a packed screening. Uh, I see Joshua here said that he saw it over uh, seas, and he said the aspect ratio isn't changed, which kind of stinks because on, on IMVD, it said it was supposed to go 133 on the version that I saw. Like, there wasn't any ratio change that I remember. Yeah. You know? Like, he does, you know, mess with colors and different film stock throughout, which we'll talk in the spoilers, but I don't know. I was kind of curious about that, but if it doesn't change... I personally would still say it's a three and a half hour movie. We're we're we're, we're psychopaths. We're nerds. We watch these movies multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the pacing is perfect, but it's still a three and a half hour movie. Your body will feel it. Go for the recliners. Uh, yeah, I went to the new uh, AMC recliners that we have over here. They got the butt warmers. Ooh. Oh, Zach, I, I got to take you to these over here, bro. I'd just be worried about getting so cozy I'd fall asleep. Like, don't give me a blanket at that <laughs> screening. 
oh, but the sound was was crisp and clear. Yeah. You know, if you were gonna doze off, Taylor would wake you up. But no, it, <laughs> it was it was a fantastic showing, yeah. and I truly I, believe this is a movie to watch in theaters for the sound, for the visuals, and hopefully you have. I had uh, two women who were sitting next to us, who just kept going. Mm, mm, mm. Hypocrite. Every time Robert De Niro spoke, they yelled at the screen hypocrite. And I was vibing with it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's kind of a hypocrite. Every yeah. time something was happening with our title characters on screen, they, w- they were just yelling, no, don't trust them. Don't do it. And, and just seeing someone as invested, someone who understood it, having seen right after the screening so many people, I don't want to say not get the movie, but take the movie the wrong way. Read the movie the wrong way. It's good to watch it with an audience who understands what the movie is showcasing. And that's that big word right there. Who the killers of the Flower Moon were. Absolutely. Sorry. Are. Yeah, it's it's a slow motion horror movie in in some senses. So it's uh, I think there's a lot of people who maybe were hoping to be more entertained, I guess, is the word that I use. Like a true crime podcast? I was wrapped, but like this isn't a, this isn't a celebration. This isn't even like the romantic go. mob pictures that Scorsese is known for. This is something different, and I think it was uh, completely uh, appropriate and, and well executed for uh, what what he's going for. Uh, you alluded to it briefly, but Josh asked uh, if we felt the length. And one of the things that I think is pretty interesting in this whole discussion around like feeling the the length is. Like pe- people are sort of saying that le- I think some people are afraid to be like it feels long at risk of saying sounding like they didn't like it. Like it's three and a half hours long. That's a yeah. long you chunk just, of time yeah, to, to do anything. I, um, you know, obviously, I think the you notice the length, but it's whether or not you're like restless, whether or not you just really want the experience to end. And I think on that level. It it's it was a success for me. I, I wasn't like plotting my exit from the movie theater or anything. Like I, I felt my lower back a little bit, but I I felt completely immersed in the story and just uh, that it was like such a treat, uh, such a monumental piece of art. Yeah, but Zach, don't you understand that some of us have bladder problems? Do you not care for the <laughs> bladder community? Do you go to the bathroom every three and a half hours? Like this is not a problem for me. I, you I don't. <laughs> I found it funny that it's a three and a half hour movie, and yet within the first hour, which is still a regular movie length, people overdid it in my theater. A dude got up three times within the first ninety minutes. I'm like, gee, we could have been watching Step Brothers. He broke like, the seal. Why don't you? Are, you can't break the seal. Exactly. You are overdoing it. I think I'm pretty prepped with it. I, I did not have to go to the bathroom the whole time, but I like I knew the events I was going in for. Yeah. I, look, I. I Obviously, you're going to feel it in your body because it's three and a half hours. If you're not used to sitting, yeah, we get that. You know, if you have a bladder problem, we understand that. You know, there's not not everyone's going to have the ability to watch it in a theater. Um, but if you can, that's obviously who we're mentioning it for. And I thought that the, it, it it's just perfectly paced. I know a lot of people want it to be shorter. Um, I'm more of the agreement. This is the one that I definitely could have seen as a miniseries because I just wanted to see more chapters of their lives. Um, and with it going to Apple TV and, you know, with all these new iterations that we can come up with through streaming... I would love seeing that. Um, I do have one question for you, and I see it already mentioned in the comments a little bit. But I, <laughs> we're going to get it into the spoilers later. Zach, yay or nay on the performance for Brenda Fraser? I, I'm thumbs all the way up. I loved it. I thought it was exactly what it needed to be. Yes, thank you. I people, wasn't sure based on your tweet. No, no, no. Okay, people, 
are seeing his performance and making fun of it, not realizing they're making fun of Marty. Marty did not let this man storm into the set. Marty directed him and cast him and had him be the character he's supposed to be as an outside yeah. lawyer. So when you're making fun of him, you're snitching on yourself that yeah. you don't understand how a movie set works or that you weren't paying attention to the movie of what he was supposed to be. That said, that, that said though, Yes, I thought it was the funniest thing. Yeah. Two things could be could be right. It's exactly what the movie needs, and it's also so hilarious. Yes, that's the correct take. Ah, oh, no, he was fantastic, bro. He was so good. Um, but yeah, we, I I am excited to get full spoilers into it. Uh, Zach went full in on the audio book. I'm almost done with it, but damn, does it add so much to the story? I don't think you need it. I think it's really just a matter of right now with it being such a lengthy movie and with so many topics, you know, everyone needs an opinion on this movie. Uh, <laughs> I saw more reviews for this movie from people who hadn't seen it before the movie came out. Like mm-hmm. we couldn't we couldn't even wait. And I think that speaks a lot to people rushing to conclusions. And uh, I, I'm really excited for our breakdown on it because i think a, a big part of it is just being open to what the movie's trying to tell you and i think we're gonna have a really good breakdown so stick around for that right after this live stream yeah uh another one that we have is anatomy of a fall uh zach had a couple of thoughts that he had said in his new york breakdown i technically am going to bring this up in like 10 minutes because i have it in my chicago breakdown that i'm going to be doing later but anatomy of a fall i believe was limited and it is about to come out um this friday in multiple theaters here in chicago so keep an eye out for it because i know you liked it yeah i think it's solid you know i think the problem is when you talk about a movie like this which was such a successful a uh, film at Con where it got a lot of hype and people were talking it's about very big, bro. I didn't yeah, realize it, that. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, it's not just a contender for the best international Oscar, but but maybe even for best picture as well." And now, uh, if you're it, it paying attention to film festivals like Arturo and I do, so many of them are bringing over Sandra Huller to do these like showcases oh, and Q and A's and stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like it's this movie's in a way been crowned as like one of the important films of the year. So maybe mm. like that just put my expectations in a place where I'm just like, yeah, it's good. It, and it is really solid. It's a very, uh, very compelling courtroom drama. And I love that it really tries to ride the line of like not giving you a satisfying answer, not not letting you have an easy uh, opinion on what's going on. They've got like a lot of really, really expert scenes that are uh, where the back and forths just fe- leave you on the edge of your seat. Uh, got probably the the best use of 50 Cent music in a film that I've ever heard. Remix. Uh, but, you know, it's <laughs> it, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, that's I don't know what else to say. I thought it was uh, pretty compelling. You know, I not to again, like put it against these unfair expectations. But like, if we're talking about recent French courtroom dramas that like really riveted me, I'd still put St. Omer above this one. I see uh, great. Devesh in the live stream is asking anatomy of a fall or pot of which is you've been consistent on it. Yeah. I, I think France made the right call. I really uh, like the taste of things. I, I'm, I'm, you know, it might be a simpler movie, but it's one that warmed my heart more. So, I don't know. They're both great. I'm not trying to disparage either. And I do think people should check out Anatomy of a Fall. I've been recommending it to people in my personal life. And uh, I just think it's it, it's a pretty like easy recommendation because it's pretty satisfying to watch. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, are you are you with me? Did you like it more or do you feel a little cooler than I do? 
like you said, people were at the festivals and they were overhyping it. So when it got to you, you were taking that reaction. <laughs> I had it skimmed then through you who gave me the reaction. So I think I came somewhere in the middle. I don't think cool. it's like the most profound uh, courtroom drama out there. I like you really like Satan Omer as well. But I did like a lot with this uh, a lot of what this movie did. I think Sandra Huller gives a, a fantastic performance in this. Uh, doubled up with her supporting in Zone, which we'll be talking about in a little bit yeah. again. Um, but. I thought it was a pretty good courtroom drama. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Uh, we may have a, a longer spoiler discussion of it because I've been hearing so many theories. I'm I'm more curious on what people are getting out of it because, like you were saying, this is a film in where it's supposed to be ambiguous and leave it open, and it does a perfect job at that for you to pick up pick it apart. But people are coming up with like these crazy things, and I know you and I have been looking at each other like it's only one of two options, and people are speaking about this. <laughs> Like, oh, did you catch the hidden elephant in the back? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, I, th- I think it's great, though. I, I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, I think it's it, it's fa- it's fantastically shot in a way where it's almost meme-worthy. There yeah. are some shots in here, zoom-ins in particular, that I did not expect, but I kind of messed with. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend it. Definitely worth uh, the trip to the theater, in my opinion. And we'll definitely be discussing it more. There's definitely an alternate universe where this would be a great... Uh, subject for like the film theory channel to tackle or whatever. For sure. Just like pull on weird threads for it. Oh, easily. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's because of how good uh, the direction is and the actors. And it's a pretty tight script as well. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I definitely so recommend it. He said Justine Trite was actually asked to be in St. Omer. Wow. Oh. Small world French cinema. Beautiful. Um, we'll go through some other quick ones that were out. Uh, recently, there was this movie called The Mill that came out on Hulu. Laurel Hari is not just the actor, but like the producer on this. I'm hmm. blanking on on the production company that he had for this. But I, th- I, I saw the production company name, Relevant Provo- uh, Productions, which is genius. Laurel, <laughs> Relevant Productions. Nice. And that was the coolest part of the movie, Zach. It's about this dude who uh, is, like, always busy working. And I believe he had a baby on the way. And he ends up stuck in, like, this just metal room. uh, Or steel room, I should say. A mill room. And he needs to move uh, this, this gear however many times per day. And he needs to beat everybody else who are in separate rooms, almost like Cube, but he doesn't know how many intervals they're doing. And if he doesn't do as much as the least person, they get kicked out. And it leaves you with all of these threads of what to pull on. And it's trying to make fun of big corporations, even though it's a movie from a big corporation. It is the exact type of streaming Hulu thriller that you would expect. Um, I, I've been saying I want more dramatic roles from Laurel Hari. Yeah, we uh, just saw him in We Grown Now, uh, one of which the best parts. Chicago, which he's very excellent in. Uh, yeah, this is more of a thriller. I need him more in the dramatic roles. This is uh, fine for what it was. It was interesting to see him. You know, he had his kicks on. He had the Nikes on uh, while he was dressed up in a suit. And a lot of the shots are like, they look clean, my dude. But like, I don't need to see the perspective of your shoes uh, front and center. It, it, it has interesting ideas, but I don't know if it's executed to the best of its ability. At a certain point, you're following this guy who's feeling miserable and has a lot of agony. And after 15 minutes... You two are just sitting there with that misery mm-hmm. and that agony. But interesting for what it's worth. You can catch it online over on Hulu. Um, the Burial, you said you had caught, which premiered at TIFF, if I'm not mistaken. And we knew it was going to get flipped for Prime immediately. Exactly. But tell me about it's, this one. 
it's one of those movies that we, we uh, always try to avoid at film festivals because we know our time is precious and it'll just be available to us two weeks down the line. Uh, available to everybody, in fact, if you have uh, access to Amazon Prime streaming. The Burial with uh, Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones, as well as Journey Smollett. Uh, a bunch of actually interesting actors in smaller parts. Uh, Bill Camp, somebody that I, I like a lot whenever he shows up and stuff. Mamadou Athi, uh, I yeah. don't know how his last name yep. is pronounced. He's always a delight when he shows up. No, stuff. he's a, great. Up-and-coming up actor. Um, this film is a pretty middle-of-the-road courtroom drama, and those can be pretty satisfying to watch. And, and this one is as well, you know, largely through the charisma of the performances, most notably in Jamie Foxx, who kind of does like a sort of Johnny Cochran-esque uh, showy lawyer thing in this in this movie. Uh, here he's defending Tommy Lee Jones against a corporation that's, you know, trying to... Uh, nickel and dime a bunch of, you know, lower class people. So there's some... Uh, racial injustice being fought and there's some uh, personal or there's some corporate greed being uh, rallied against and it, it's all like pretty pretty standard in terms of the beats it's not mm -hmm. gonna surprise you very much along the way but it's well executed and it, it's pretty satisfying you know I'm uh, not gonna it, it's not a film that I think will find itself in like the Oscars race or anything like that but it's perfectly uh, a perfectly good thing to watch and recommend to like a group of people, especially if you're like looking for something to watch with people who aren't necessarily uh, willing to go watch something that's maybe a little bit more on the artistic side of things. It's mm -hmm. uh, decently entertaining and, and pretty well written too. Uh, they were charging those Osage prices, weren't they? <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, the uh, Osage funeral home prices. The uh. Yeah, I see. I see uh, Journey Spillett was in it as well. Another yeah. person who was really good in We Grow Now. A lot of really good elements from We Grow Now. Um, showing up in other movies. Showing up in other movies, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the burial out on Amazon Prime. This next one, I saw. I I believe a third before I schnoozed. I would be the millennial that this man so eagerly creates in his mind to hate. Old dads, the Bill Burr comedy about. Yeah, Old Dads, out on Netflix. Zach, you got to make it to the finish line for this one. Tell me why Bill Burr is your favorite comedian. <laughs> well, you know, Bill Burr is a, a pretty funny comedian at, at times, and uh, obviously he's got some sort of... It, he has sort of like a cranky persona in, in some ways. It's better uh, in stand-up. It works better in stand-up. And Ooh, yeah. I just... It, because I think he's a pretty talented stand-up comedian... I just sort of gave him more credit than the trailer seemed to. I, I didn't think that he would do something uh, so, like, rote and kind of hacky as this one is. Because he's not just the star. He's also the director and the co-writer of Old Dads. Wait, wait, but wait, 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 wait. What? Yeah. I think this is his, like, feature directorial debut. What? And And I can't understand why he would go with this, like old man mad about woke style script to like enter into that world. It, it's like so played out and, and just not, I don't know, like feels oh. like the lamest style of comedy. There's an extended bit 
about trying to get a white guy to rap along with the N-word in rap songs, which is like something that Scrubs joked about in like 2002. <laughs> it's like there's so much here that is like complaining about things that have already had a million jokes written about them and there's no kind of new way in the company that he works for tries to like rebrand itself as like carbon neutral and gender neutral. Like what does that even mean in the context of this? It's so tired and played out. And even though like I like all these actors that are involved, Mm -hmm. even beyond Bill Burr and Bobby Cannavale, like I I like Bokeem Woodbine and Katie Aselton and uh, even uh, our boy, uh, Paul Walter Hauser has a small role in this, which I woke up (laughs) and I thought I had a fever dream. So I just went back to bed when I saw the man. Yeah, like I just don't—I don't know who allowed him to be in something this bad because it, it's—he <sighs> must be a fan. Yeah, it, it did not work for me at all. Yeah. Okay, dude, that explains a lot that he directed it. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. Lashawn is saying Netflix. in the live stream that uh, F is for family is Bill Burke's best work for her. I I agree. The animated I, series. I, yeah, I like the Netflix animated series that he uh, also created. The yeah, comedy you, you works a, a lot better there. Nice. All right. Well, Old Dads out on Netflix if you wanted a series about Old Dads being very grumpy. Uh, Other than that, uh, I did have Fall of Usher here, but uh, I don't know if you finished it. Uh, We just finished it last night. And I will say this, the the biggest praises that I was giving it, um, there is a pattern that this thing does, dude. And that is he has sold out to Netflix, who is already his home. Zach, there is a moment where they just spend time cutting cakes to see whether it's cake or not. <laughs> Someone's in the hospital and they're looking for something to watch and they watch Gerald's game. Really? By the time it hit five of those, it really started tainting a show that I Weird. highly recommended yeah. just a couple weeks ago, dude. It, it it got pretty bad. I still enjoy the story, uh, how it's shot, the characters. All of that is really cool. But I, I just had to come back to mention that. Why? I, I don't want to see that. This reverse engineering of it being uh, just product placements and product placements for the, 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 the streaming service you're already on. You don't need to sell me on the streaming service I'm already on. Just, just wanted to vent about that, but I don't know if you caught any of this yet. Uh, I, I only caught the first episode, and I honestly sometimes have a hard time getting into the tone of the Mike Flanagan shows just because they're so, like, dread-inducing. It's like, oh, well, that, I don't want to hang out here for another hour, yeah. but I've heard episode two is also, like, <laughs> oh, it's, one of the... Yeah, that's where it kicks it in. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get there. Uh, he is set f- after the show to make the big move over to Amazon. So are you, are you saying you're not oh. looking forward to Mike Flanagan's Amazon shopping lists? <laughs> Stop, bro. He's probably going to do that. Damn. I hope that it, being in a new place will come with new ideas because he's been very, very, I don't, I don't want to say the word complacent, but he's definitely been very comfortable over at Netflix because when you look back at it, it's a lot, dude. Uh, Hush wasn't, I, I think, a Netflix movie, but it was hosted there. Hill House, Gerald's Game, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, uh, Usher. Like, there's a lot. I think there's even some that are still missing here that he produced. Yeah, I want a new change of pace. I just want to see see him shake things up. But 
Yeah, Fall of the House of Usher over on Netflix. Looking ahead at the week, we have a couple of movies that are going to be coming out in limited and in wide release. One of them is Radical, a movie that I missed out over uh, at Sundance. We were hearing some really good things. I think you saw it. You said it was pretty, you know, standard by the numbers, Freedom Fighters type, Freedom Writers, sorry. Yeah, I think I approached it a little bit cynically because it feels like a story that we've seen a version of a million times before. But the thing is, the reason they do this story so often is it's often pretty satisfying. And Eugenio Derbez makes for a, a pretty good lead for for a movie like this. Uh, I didn't get to give it my full attention because it was probably like 3 a.m. and we'd seen 10 movies that day. But uh, yeah. I enjoyed what I saw of it, so I'm going to give it a second watch uh, once Alina it's more readily available. Yeah, she really liked it. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this plays in some theaters. I haven't seen screenings for it yet, but uh, I look forward to this one. I'm telling Zach, he needs to watch this, and he's so lucky that it's a streaming day and date. You will yeah. be able to watch this on Peacock, but I've already seen some show showing selling out for this. Five Nights at Freddy's. Did you ever play the game? No, but Caitlin, uh, when we first started dating, played it pretty frequently. So I, I saw over her shoulder quite a bit a for some... Uh, and I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call her that, but I think she's more she's excited about Nights Five Nights at Freddy's than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she we, we got the, the costume in the closet, you know. <laughs> no big deal, no big deal. Um, I don't have any faith in the movie, but I'm looking nope. forward to people's reactions. And I don't know, at least I'm hoping that it's not boring, right? But I'm not expecting the stroke of genius. My only worry is, I don't know, we're reaching a long running time there. 110 minutes is a little <sighs> steep. Yeah, just, I, I don't know what it is with these people who are... are don't understand, like, it just make, if it's not something that we're fully sold on, don't make us sit there for two hours. You need the bear lore. Uh, I don't yeah. know. But uh, one that will hold us over is the holdovers, which I know Zach is going to bring yeah. up later on as well. But yep. I believe this is coming out limited in some places. I think really mm -hmm. only for you because I haven't seen theaters. Uh, New York and L.A. Ugh. I'm really excited for this. Every time the trailer plays. Oh, it just looks so good. And when I, I made sure I saw Killers in one of the best screens that we have right now in the city. And damn, that trailer looked even better. It's so, mm -hmm. it, I highly recommend people. I know it looks like a throwback and it looks kind of um, old, but it, it feels so crisp. The style that he has going for this, it, it, it looks fantastic from the audio to the visuals. I know Zach gave it a rave review. I think it was your favorite out of Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it's that American fiction and origin are all like moving all just around together. in that top three, but it, it's on that upper, upper tier. It's definitely going to be one of my favorite movies of the year. I'm excited for it, so keep an eye out for that one. Uh, and then this one we are actually going to have, which is Dix the Musical. It starts playing yeah. on Thursday, I believe, in most places. The A24 musical that has the whole soundtrack out right now because I think they're really trying to campaign for that best original song with uh, Megan Thee Stallion. So uh, you haven't kind of screening for this yet, have you? No, uh, literally tried to, and our car broke down uh, ah, in New York, what which a was a, a whole adventure. <laughs> uh, but I'm Damn. curious about it for sure. One of the most like uptight people that I, I see like recommended <laughs> to me on Twitter all the time. What was her name again? <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you after the stream, uh, said that this was the worst A24 film they'd Whoa. ever seen, which makes me that much more excited about it. Okay. It looks like a lot. Uh, yeah. I saw them pitch it at Toronto as um, the Parent Trap 
bit like Super Gay and a musical. <laughs> so we'll see how uh, how that translates to the theater. But uh, I'm going to sure. be trying to watch a late night showing. Hopefully, all the Taylor's, uh, all the Swifty fans are there so that we could rock out to this musical as well. But uh, that's all of the stuff that is coming out this week. We're curious to know your recommendations down below in the comment section. We've got some news before we get into our festival coverage. And Zach, yeah. tell me about this Black berry event yeah so blackberry one of our favorite films from this year i feel pretty comfortable saying that uh is owned by ifc films which also owns amc the channel and they are collaborating to premiere the film as a limited series over the course of three nights a three-night blackberry event so they're taking the matt johnson movie that we saw back at south by southwest and, and turning it into a miniseries. Now, the movie, if you remember, does kind of have like a three-part structure. It uh, takes place over the course of several years, and there's like pre-Blackberry, there's the height of Blackberry, and then there's the fall of Blackberry. So I feel like I can sense where the cuts are going to be. But Art, how do you feel about AMC, the American movie channel, believe taking one of our favorite movies of the year and making it a miniseries. You talking about the three-act structure that is um, the beginning, the middle, and the end? <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly not the first movie to, to have a three-act structure. <laughs> Why? I don't understand it. That sounds um, desperate. Yeah, part of me is just excited that like more people might see Blackberry, but but why like this? Why can't you just show the movie? This Are you truly that is... desperate to fill three hours? Ah, oh, damn, because it's AMC, bro. I out of all the streaming services, I still got Paramount. I stopped my AMC one. As much as I love Shutter, like damn, I might get a, a, the, the screener for that one. I just I just stopped with my AMC Plus account. This sounds like the most desperate attempt to try to get more viewers. Uh, if you don't know, AMC uh, like shot itself in the foot. AMC, the app, has to be one of the most embarrassing apps. They are so bad at getting subscribers that they ended up releasing their stuff on the app first before they do on the AMC thing. You know how uh, ABC will still show Abbott Elementary? Then you got to wait the 24 hours. FX will show whatever their FX show is. Then you rate 24 hours for Hulu. They do it in reverse. That's how bad their numbers are. <laughs> They're desperate over at AMC+. They will literally release the, the, the Walking Dead thing on Friday and then be like, and on AMC, it's going to be on Sunday. They made it that drastic. It's more than 24 hours because they're like, please just sign up for this thing. This is so goofy. I'm only, yeah. I'm going to allow it to pass if there's more footage. Well, that's the thing. We we he during the Q and A's, Matt Johnson talked about oh, how he showed a different cut at Berlin than he did in South by Southwest. Oh, that you, there Jay. is more footage, and uh, oh. Jay in the live stream is confirming that Matt Johnson oh, said this is an extended cut with Confirmed? more footage. Okay, all right, yeah, because I that literally when I saw it in Chicago, he was sitting right behind us, and I'm like, "Did you cut it again?" <laughs> he just goes, "Yeah." <laughs> So okay. Yeah, I mean that that makes I love me mildly this. I'm more so intrigued. happy they're doing this. I'm getting my AMC subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I, it does make me intrigued to check it out. I just think it's strange because I think it works so well as as a movie. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, Matt Johnson is not a person who approaches these things with a sense of preciousness. It feels like. I, I don't know what it goes through that guy's mind. If you try to talk to him, he'll just talk to you. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, but that's interesting. I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, Ernie in the chat had also mentioned another AMC show, Pantheon. I don't know if that got canceled, but that, I had recommended that a, a while back. That's a, a, another pretty good show. If you do end up getting your AMC uh, package or a free trial to catch this new extended cut for BlackBerry, which we highly recommend. Dude, not only did they cancel Pantheon, they gave it a two-season order and then canceled it after one season. A-holes. Damn. This is interesting, bro. <laughs> Blackberry, the three-night event. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about some film festival stuff. Let's do it. Uh, I finally wrapped up Chicago, kind of. You know how it goes. I still got a couple of screeners that hopefully have not expired on me. Um, but Zach does have some pretty heavy hitters that he caught out of New York. Tell me about this first one that you have here, which is Ferrari. Ferrari, yes. Uh, Ferrari, the latest film from the auteur Michael Mann, uh, looking at the life of Enzo Ferrari. Um, Enzo. It, it's a film that premiered at Venice and got pretty uh, stellar reviews. I think a lot of people are uh, anticipating this one as potentially an Oscar player. Um, I was maybe underwhelmed given those expectations for it. It certainly, like has a lot of uh, energy to it and there's some visual panache, uh, but I found the whole thing a bit a bit bombastic and ultimately like it struggled to get into second gear for me. It's, it starts in this uh. place of tension, but it never really deepens that tension. It, it's a lot it, it's a lot of what we've seen an increasing amount of of like, complicated guy but his wife was also involved and they had a a tense relationship that led to their greatness and i don't know it just felt kind of played out um i think i would have responded better had it not been for the very like jarring garish cgi car crashes okay. that yeah it looks so goofy in the trailer it is way way goofier in the movie because those are some of the most like dramatic uh climactic elements of the film the whole like end of the film revolves around this devastating car crash and it's supposed to be this like pit in your stomach type of feeling and i just watched a bunch of like cartoonish rubbery limbs go flying like it 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 really feels like those like uh, you're a kid? <laughs> just yeah, the no, look, those like, I don't know if you've seen those like CGI, like here's what it looks like if a car crashes at going 50 miles per hour. Yeah. Here's what it looks like crashing. The previous. Like it, it, it looks goofy as hell. And I, I know he apparently like studied the thermodynamics of, of it and, and put a lot of effort into it, but it looks rubbery and, and computery and pu completely pulled me out of the reality of the film. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't work at all and particular like I'm one who tries to be forgiving with what people talk about as poor CGI. Like I think ultimately those elements tend to not be major parts of movies that are pretty big. But the movie kind of hinges on those moments and they <sighs> don't hit. Well, you know, you can't have a good story and good CGI. Two things cannot occupy the same space. You know the craziness to see the like, James the, Cameron rule. See that movie and then the or that movie trailer and then right afterwards the trailer for Napoleon. I'm like, is this the same like premise? Like, <laughs> woman and uh, really upholding man. Yeah. I, the trailer has me mixed because like I'm both really intrigued by it, but it like overspells the premise. Like you were saying, it feels like it it really heightens up his relationships. 
to the point where it's like, no, 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 we get it. We understand the turmoil that you're going through. You're not the first movie to cover this. And if you're telling me that even the racing parts of it for a Ferrari movie don't live up to it, yeah, you kind of got me, got my expectations yeah. down. I certainly wasn't the uh, wasn't like uh, the majority opinion. I think a lot of people found it still impactful. Ewan in the live stream just said that he found the crash very impactful. I, I just, I don't know. It, it took me out of it, unfortunately. So. All right. Well, uh, do we know a date for this one? Let me check right here. It's out Christmas uh, wide. Oh wow! Okay. December twenty fifth. It's gonna be a lot of Christmas movies. All right. Ferrari. Ferrari. Is he good? Is he good? Yeah, you know what? I I love Driver. I think he's so convincing. I I he's my guy though, so maybe I, I'm giving him a little too much Makes credit, sense. but I, I think he completely worked in this. What about your other boy? Your other man's over here. Is he still just as goofy in the curse? <laughs> oh man, the curse. Where do we start with the curse? Uh we should mention that this is a show that was co-created not just by Nathan Fielder, but also uh, Benny Safty, who, who plays a role as well. It stars Nathan, Benny, as well as Emma Stone, oh, wow. uh, which pretty big name for, for something like this. This is going to Showtime. Uh, it is a really intriguing comedy that is sort of the behind the scenes of a couple putting together a pilot for their new HGTV home makeover <laughs> show. Sounds great. But but there's so much more than just that. And it's also like so much more than like a goofy comedy. It's like very bone dry. It's deeply, uh, deeply concerned with like the way that people present themselves both in TV and on social media and to each other. There's lots of very interesting dynamics between the characters, particularly Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder who play this married couple who have their own baggage they're bringing into their personal lives and, and, and trying to uh, simultaneously get this show made. Um, it's got a lot of the awkward comedy that I think you're going to expect, given somebody like Nathan uh, being involved. There's like a very extended scene where they all sit around and watch uh, a focus group critique, like basically everything about Nathan down to his personality and looks. That's uh, but He's probably gone through that. <laughs> oh, he's definitely gone through that. <laughs> but I think the thing that really... Uh, is the most intriguing about the show is like when it pushes on these sort of weird buttons, the, these ideas of like what is okay to do proper to do uh, the things that he will do on camera to present himself one way and then try to make up for as soon as the camera cuts. Um, I, I definitely didn't laugh as much as I expected to because it is such a like, it, it's such a like discomforting a weird tone throughout, but it, you'll go through 10 minutes of like character development and, and discomfort and then be treated to like the five funniest minutes that you've seen maybe in television all year. Like the, wow. the cherry tomato boys thing is going to be such a thing when the, the episodes drop for all everybody. Uh, you heard it here first, but I, I thought it was pretty hysterical. I want to see where it goes because even after three episodes, I feel like they've only scratched the surface hmm. of what they're trying to do. Uh, and everybody involved is great. Um, I'll, I'll say there's one, there's a sex scene in this that rivals what Emma Stone did in Poor Things for daringness. Ooh, wow. It's a great thing for the Emma Stoners out there. 
I am excited for this uh, one. Not sure if you paused or not, but yeah, so The Curse, I mean, I, I think it's uh, really going to be like one of the big shows when it comes out. I think it's not set uh, to be released on Showtime until November 10th. Um, so we still got a little bit of time, but I mean, it's it's coming. So get ready. Nathan Field, new Nathan Fielder is always something to be intrigued by. Nice. I'm excited. That's, that's going to be pretty good. I know that they've been saying uh, the the Paramount connection. It may be on Paramount, may not be on Paramount. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, I know when you were at New York, they had mentioned that they were going to play it at the Lincoln Center. Yeah. No. Uh, it's really cool that they're doing. Uh, they're showing the episodes at the Lincoln Center before they even air on Showtime, which is kind of cool. If you are in the area, you can get a sneak preview of them. Nice. All right. Sounds great. Uh, next up, we have all of the picks that we were able to catch over at the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, like we had mentioned in our preview, it is one of the best festivals in the Midwest in terms of all of the international picks because you have a bunch of movies that are the submissions for their respective countries. And it's just a, a really cool way to go to a bunch of theaters here in Chicago. So I'm going to be breaking down a lot of my honorable mentions or things that I have seen. And then I got my top 10. Uh I obviously had to make it out for Eric LaRue, which I don't know if you caught at Bag of Tribeca when it had its premiere, but no, this I is a movie that comes from the man, Michael Shannon. Uh, I don't think it's his... Oh, it is his directorial debut. Yeah. Interesting. I thought he had done something else. Um, I know producing-wise, he was able to get some really big people on here who he's worked with in the past. Uh, Jeff Nichols, who also has a movie, uh, Bike Riders. Uh, he came on to support him here. And look, it, it's got an interesting premise in terms of it being about a mother whose child is the school shooter. And because of that, she's trying to get back into things in, in terms of her relationship, in terms of the town, in terms of her church. And it creates this really weird dynamic in where, um, I don't want to say she's playing like a selfish person, but it becomes very much revolved around not Eric LaRue, but Mama LaRue, Janice. And she does a really good job in the role, but I just felt that the script, and it's not so much the direction, he's got some interesting moments here and there that are very awkward, but the script was something that by the end of it, I was holding on to a three and a half stars and I just couldn't by the end of it. Mm. Um, the husband in this, who is dealing with things in his own way, is played by Alexander Skarsgård. It just the range in this man is incredible. He can go from being the cockiest guy in uh, Succession. You know, he can be a literal Viking. Here, he's the timid Christian father who doesn't really realize that he's getting flirted upon by a local uh, church member played by Allison Pill, who does a fantastic job as being, you know, for the Lord, just helping a neighbor out whenever they can. But uh, there's not much there for a lot of the characters that really resonated with me. And it's one of those where people who have been in a scenario uh, like this, something this traumatic, I'm very curious to see what they would think about this, especially when it comes to a, a final talk that happens in the movie. Um, I would highly, highly, highly recommend another film that you and I have mentioned in the past, which would be, and I don't have it queued up here, but um, Black Mass, right? Oh, yeah, the Fran Kranz movie, yeah. That uh, one's very good. Yeah, so it, it's got sort of a, maybe a similar kind of like a somber, Christ. mournful tone. Dude, throughout the movie, they're trying to build up to this meeting that the pastor really wants to have 
uh, so that she can meet up with parents, uh, the parents. And it's almost like this dude just kind of wants to get the contract. I want to be the first. I want to be the other pastor. I want to make sure that I'm the one who is kind of overseeing the uh, (laughs) Alexander. What the heck, bro? Uh, That he's the one overseeing everything. But it's played by this pastor. And I I don't know who the actor would be here. Um, This man. It has to be this dude right here. Paul he Sparks? plays the pastor so well in the most terrible way. He is hmm. the most annoying pastor to the point that not only is he not fit for the job, halfway through, it, it's very difficult with this image. This man just embodied Tim Robbins <sighs> throughout the entire bit of awkwardness and anything that happened, he would make things even more awkward. He, it, I don't know. There was just so much to his character that I despised, but it was a, a solid performance from him. So again, it's a very mixed movie for me in terms of what it was trying to go for, uh, for very he- heavy subject matter. But as Zach mentioned right there, I would highly recommend checking out Mass. I was adding a black to it. That's the Johnny Depp one. Yeah, that's I would the, highly recommend exactly. Mass. Ma- Mass is the best version of this movie. Um, nice. Going through yeah, a couple I'm, of... Or, it, uh, I was just going to say that uh, Eric Lewer he directed it, but Michael Shannon didn't write it. So I'm curious what uh, brought the script mm. to him as well, because it's not even a uh, writer that with would a be lot of credits to his name. It may have been a play, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. One one of these was uh, also written by somebody else, or, or might have been a novel. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, he's he's a Chicago guy, so I was uh, happy to at least go catch his movie. I just wish it was a little bit better. Uh, some of the other international picks would have been the the this duo here that I told you of Bad Living. And Living Bad, two films from Portugal, one of which got the submission. And I was really hyped for these, and they're, they're good, but they're very, very, very slow. Uh, mm. One perspective is covering this hotel and all of the women who work at this hotel. They've lost a patriarchal figure, and they might even lose the hotel before they maybe lose their minds together. And it's very slowly paced. If someone is brushing their hair, you are going to see every strand of hair getting brushed. This is a movie in where, uh, from this perspective, you're seeing all of the struggles that they have to go through before the people come in to take over or visit the hotel. Uh, Whereas Living Bad is from the perspective mostly of all the rich people. I will say, though, you need to watch Bad Living before you watch Living Bad, in my opinion. Because this one kind of sets the in and out points of the, the, I want to say like the weekend. And then here you're seeing moments from the first movie that they never really showcase to you if you were just watching this movie alone, if that makes any sense. But while this one is a little bit slower, this one's a little bit more fast paced because you got multiple rich people who are going through their problems and such. It's very interesting. I'd be curious to revisit it again later in the future uh, because the performances are really strong. I, I think it's a really good script. It's just they're both pushing two hours and you end up getting a lot of repetitiveness, especially when you're when you're following the perspectives again uh, as you swap between both movies. But I want to say Bad Living is the one that they submitted for the Oscar. So it'll be interesting to see how far that gets on the shortlist. But a very interesting concept. It- now that you've seen them, how would you compare it to the uh, disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, another film that showed us two sides to one story? I like the pacing more in that. Mm. 
but I do think the story here is a little bit better. It's just the pacing that really did it for me. But yeah, that would be a, a pretty good comparison to it. And I want I want to see more movies that do this because I'm a big yeah. fan of that, uh, of being able to get a different perspective once you uh, switch out what it's like to be not the person serving, but the person being served uh, or how someone misconstrued something or how someone didn't uh, remember yeah. something. It's a, it's a really, really interesting idea. Like it takes the whole idea of like a Rashomonic film structure and mm-hmm. spreads it across several films and you know I, I feel like maybe even tv it has had some successful attempts at this yeah. style uh but yeah i think we've yet to see a pair of movies that like really really ran with this concept in the right way maybe that kevin costner movie where he spent all his money on it that's gonna be the two-parter next year yeah <laughs> we'll see what they do there um, a couple of other ones going down the honorable mentions list. Departing Seniors. It was a movie that uh, was there for opening night in where uh, it is a Chicago-based filmmaker, someone who I've seen her previous work at Chicago Critics Fest, I want to say, with Runner. Um, and she's now moved up her feature film uh, from a script that's very much influenced from a lot of 2000s movies from Scream, uh, 90s movie, but Scream, um, what's the Bring It On Again? There's a lot of references in this movie, many that were going over my head until you just sit there and you go like, that is from that other movie. (laughs) But it does it in a way where it's very playful. um, And it's a very enjoyable movie where you're following these kids who are all getting kind of murdered one by one by this killer who's wearing the, uh, the, the drama class mask. And you don't know who it is. And they do all of these, you know, little red herrings to a bunch of characters and you're trying to figure out who it could be as you follow who I consider... The Mexican Tom Holland, you don't look like it too much here, but there are moments where this man is staring at the screen and he even's got the Tom Holland like <laughs> gasping for air type thing. But he's really good. It took me a while because I couldn't find it here. And even when you go to his IMDb, let me backtrack a bit here. It doesn't appear. Do you recognize this boy? Right here, you can see a little bit more of his Tom Hollandness, a little tired Tom Holland. He's from Primo. Oh, he's, he's Primo. He looks handsome with the longer hair. Oh, yeah. No, he's a good-looking dude. Uh, he plays a Mexican-American gay dude. Like, that that's his character. And while it could really fall into those tropes of, like, oh, I got it. You're, like, checking that box. It's, like, very funny uh, how introspective it is because the writer himself is taking from a lot of his uh, own story. So there's a lot in this movie that I like. The reason why I couldn't give it more than three stars was because the ending, when it comes to the killer story, as cool and interesting as it is... It gets pretty shoddy towards the end um, and ends up becoming a movie that reminds you more of the better versions of what it's trying to homage. But still a really interesting story, pretty fun movie. Uh, and I want to give a big shout out to, I want to yeah, want to say it was Irian Roach. She's in a couple of movies in this fest, including shorts. She's fantastic. We need to see her in more stuff. She had a, that like cameo role in Candyman. I want to say she was one of the girls in the uh, bathroom scene. She's really good uh, in both of the projects that she was at Chicago. So shout out to her. Very one cool. of the other ones uh, that I have on here is a movie, if I'm not mistaken, that comes from Iran. Yeah, confirming that. Mm-hmm. Terrestrial Versus takes a bunch of vignettes. So I wasn't sure what I was going to get out of this movie um, until like you get to the third one and you realize every single shot is just going to be these static shots of people sitting down dealing with an authority figure. So this is a woman who's trying to get her car back, but they don't like that she has short hair. And it looked like the person who we got on camera, as they projected in the back, had longer hair. What do you mean that's your boyfriend? Boy should not have long hair. 
this is a guy who wants his license back, but he's got a lot of markings and the person needs to see if his markings are fit for him to drive. There's a, a one dealing with a woman who lost her dog. That was probably the most profound one because they tell her to go to the police office and she's just standing there in the police office and she hears a dog, but they don't want to tell her if it's hers or not. It's all of these little moments that I think build up to this idea of what it's like to live in a regime and what you have to do when you're, you, you can't get a job, you, you can't get help, you can't even tell the stories that you want to without it being kind of siphoned or, or uh, censored through whoever's in charge. Uh, a really interesting story. Uh, I'd be curious to see how they release this one or what type of limited um, release it, it gets because I don't think it was a submission for them. But I would argue for it. I think Iran right now is actually going through some beef that the submission they chose was propaganda. So the film committee over there said this is disrespectful. And I think they're in limbo right now and they did not submit one. But yeah. I thought this was a very interesting approach. Iran's one's those one of those countries that has lots of really incredible filmmakers, but the oh, yeah. uh, the the various government forces or film commission forces don't always choose those great films from great filmmakers as the country's submission for for whatever political reasons. So they don't want it to speak uh, from. Yeah, that it it not getting that endorsement isn't always necessarily like a uh, knock against the film. It's almost worse, right? Right. If you do get it, it's like ah, they shouldn't be supporting you. Um, but I will say that uh, there is one vignette, because again, they really all are static shots. There's one vignette where it's a director who submits a script about his father and how abusive he was. And they're like, no, you can't show the patriarch being abusive. Excuse me. And he needs to rewrite it. And he ends up like cutting up all of his script up to the point that uh, he wants to do a story from the Quran. But when he picks <laughs> the, the, the story of uh, Joseph, no, not Joseph. No, yeah, Joseph getting um, seduced. They don't count that one either. So he's like, I can't even do the stories that y'all want me to do. And it's this really funny uh, just take, a satirical take on, on not even being able to tell the stories when you're following the rules. But Terrestrial Versus is a pretty interesting movie. Um, nice. I'd keep it on your radar. Probably the biggest one. One that I paid out of pocket for because it was one of the special centerpiece screenings Ooh. that also had an Academy Award winner. Bro, she was this close to me when she walked out. Oh. Uh Saltburn by Emerald Fennel that had her in between the movie dipping out. She didn't care about the reactions. She went to Giordano's. This woman came back. I wish I had a picture of her. She came back with a pink shirt that said, I just got stuffed in Chicago. <laughs> that feels like a very Emerald Fennel shirt. Pizza joke for sure. Yeah. Saltburn. What can I say about Saltburn? Um, you've seen Cruel Intentions? Yeah. So she's Zach. Salford is a movie about rich kids who do rich things in rich schools. I want to say, would it be a boarding school or is it a, I don't, I don't know what, what their schools are called. Is it higher than a boarding school? Let, let us know if, if you know what British boarding schools are called. I, I, I don't know. I, I know don't. a lot of people made fun of her because uh, the joke is that she is also super rich where she came from mm -hmm. and that the Saltburn, which refers to the manor, it was her house that they just filmed it there. She pulled like a weekend thing. Uh, they're saying it's just boarding school. Um, this is where these two characters meet uh, in, uh, what was Barry Keown's name? Oliver and specifically Jacob Elordi's Felix, who he kind of falls in love with, doesn't fall in love with. You're following it from the perspective of Barry Keown's character, who you already know is going to be off kilter to some degree, right? And he ends up getting invited to stay at Saltburn because Barry Keown's character kind of has a lot of turmoil going on with his parents. So he joins his family and kind of becomes a new adopted child who may be a little too attached. 
this is a movie where she does so many shots and lingers on them. And in the Q&A will tell you when everyone's asking, why are you trying to be so provocative? She's like, is it provocative? I'm just trying to hold the shot to see how much you can take. It's like, bro, if you're acknowledging that you're trying to see how much the audience can take, it sounds like you're trying to see how much you could push the audience. I am so mixed on this movie. I think you and I both really appreciated Promising Young Woman. Yeah. But we heard a lot of the critiques. Damn, is this one to have in the holster for those people who wanted to call her out. It is... She's just trying to be a provocateur here, man. I, I want to look for a story in here. There is a take that she said that I don't want to spoil that makes it more gothic. And I was like, okay, I saw some little Easter eggs in the background. I can see that being an interesting take, a completely radical different take on uh, the story of a guy who who joins this rich family. But like, it looks so pretty and that might just be it. There's some great performances from a lot of the cast in here. Um Jacob Elordi is great. Out of all the internet boys, shout out to him, dude. He made it out of Kissing Booth. Uh, Archie Medicu, who you were just mentioning uh, earlier. Grand Turismo, Grand yeah. Turismo movie. The dude is great, man. But I feel like she chose him as an afterthought because it just so happens to be the darker skinned character who says a lot of the you don't belong here lines. Mm-hmm. Um, the parents are fantastic, though. Uh, his The parents are played by Richard E. Grant. No complaints. And Rosamund Pike. No complaints. I would even argue that Rosamund Pike is such a goat. I think she's making fun of Emerald Fennel within the movie. I, I heard someone say that it feels like Rosamund's the only one who who has the right tone. Yes. 100%. Yeah, uh, Carrie it. Mulligan also kind of has an interesting little, I, w- I want to call him more of a cameo role she in here. Very, very side role. Yeah, she looks fantastic in the movie. Uh, but overall... There is a lot to be intrigued about in this movie. It ended up being like a spring breakers for me. I'll leave it at that. Some people are really going to love it. I, I'm, I'll revisit it soon. But it's one of those where you're not, you don't hate it, but you really wanted to love it. So you're left in that middle ground of kind of being disappointed and wondering what were you really trying to say? Right. She kept arguing with uh, Mimi, the director who was doing the running the Q&A. And, like, Mimi would say something. She's like, not really. And then proceed to kind of agree with Mimi. Like, I didn't understand what's going on in that Q&A. Given that this is a film that stars some internet favorite actors, do you, do you see this being a movie yeah, that yeah, gets yeah. memed into oblivion? And, and No, you don't understand of... the type of shots that she does in this movie. It is literally <laughs> just to bait people. I can't spoil a single one, but there is there's a lot of saliva <laughs> there's a lot of licking there's a lot of a lot of a lot of things bro and uh it's really just meant for people to rip the cam immediately on opening weekend because like you said they're gonna want to make fan cams of just how awkward and over the top people are but i will say it's been very uh funny to see a lot of people bring up his um banshees role mm-hmm. <laughs> there was this one funny being talking about how he had <laughs> this is an example of having so no little riz, riz that the yeah. man jumped off This would be the most insane take on that character. I will leave it at that. I'm very curious to see when you catch it. I think you're you're catching it this week, so we'll have more thoughts. We'll have plenty more thoughts next week, Zach. I'm very curious to see your take on it. And then I'll let you know what you mentioned in the Q&A, which (laughs) could be a much more interesting movie, but I don't think it's fully there. Saltburn. Coming out December? If it doesn't get pushed like a lot of the other movies have. Yeah. Looks beautiful, though. Black Box is an Israeli, German, 
Belgium. Like it is multiple different things at once. And it is a movie that covers a group of people who are all living in this block. And the block gets shut down and no one can leave because they're investigating someone in there. It has a fantastic premise. And I can't wait to see this be remade because I think there is so much potential in this story. It's got really good performances um, that revolve around what could be xenophobia about Mm -hmm. people uh, trying to shut down this place because they're looking for a threat. But at the same time, kind of like uh, Le Miserable from uh, TIFF. They're not really doing you the favor of protecting you from this building. They kind of want to get you out of the building so that they can create what they want in there. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting it because there's so much things going on and it isn't until the end of the movie that you see people's ulterior motives, uh, which I think is really well written in the script. I'd just be curious to see uh, another director's take on it. Um, I'm also not from over there. So there's a lot of these festival movies where there's so much intricacies. If you're not from Hungary, if you're not from Germany, where you don't know what that culture is like over there. So uh, I'm curious to see some Germans, if they saw this movie, to see their take on it. Turns out they like it a little less, but then I'm wondering if they're a little too close to it. Like, my Uh, complaint is in the direction. Their complaint is like, we don't like what the movie's saying, hmm. but I think the movie is critiquing what they think it's endorsing. So Black Box, a very interesting... uh, uh, I don't want to call it a bottle film because you've got the whole building, but they are all trapped in in this block. There's um, this like resistance to remaking foreign films that are good because people are kind of like, oh, well, just go watch the original. Just go watch mm-hmm. the original Parasite. HBO shouldn't remake that. So like I have this and you should watch the original list on my letterbox that, that I keep of like movies that should get American remakes uh, of those like really great premises that maybe could be elevated by a remake. Mm-hmm. You're saying this is one for that list. Yeah, because I agree with you. You're, you don't need to remake it piece for piece, what you're remaking and what you're retelling is the the nuances to American culture, hmm. right? And sadly, stuff like Force Majeure did not do that. It decided yeah. to go the cheaper route. But when you're able to do a translation of like, oh, I didn't understand that from that culture, but I do get it here. The ramen thing from Parasite would be the perfect example where you broke that down to me and you're like, oh, it's because over there, it's like a cheap food and a really rich food being combined. And you yeah. gave me the American example of that I'm like, that's a true translation. That's a true remake. And I'd be curious to see what take they would have on Black Box. But I'd recommend that. I think it'd be a decent rental. Cool. Um, keeping with kind of the same uh, themes, Explanation for Everything won the Gold Hugo. And it was actually the last one I saw. I saw it at night. I woke up. It won the award. I'm like, damn. Uh, it, it's about this kid who in Hungary is wearing a pin. Again, nuances that I, I'm on Wikipedia trying to catch up what this pin means to them over there. <laughs> And, like, I'm still kind of confused, so if anyone's from over there, definitely let me know. But he goes in to take this exam, and that this exam is, like, really big over there because that's what's going to lead to him going to university or not. But it, while this kid wasn't prepped for the exam and he kind of failed it, it becomes this debacle where he's able to blame the very liberal teacher that he was scoping him out because he wore his national pin. And I guess that's more conservative than it is left-leaning over there. And it's considered very nationalistic. Hmm. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a take. You know, it's not not one for one, but like what a Confederate flag would be over here, but not necessarily a Confederate flag. You know, it's a different take over there. And I don't understand that. But the movie is tackling those issues of this kid 
now creating this entire national debacle because while he didn't study, everyone thinks that he was like ostracized, that he was actually picked apart because of it, and it becomes national news. Um, there is a really uh, good back and forth that happens between the teacher who's getting blamed for this and the father. Um, it, it just felt like a conversation that would definitely happen uh, here in America. And again, not not to be a broken record for it, but it'd be very fascinating to see a take on this uh, because the reason that it won the award was because a lot of people said that it was very balanced uh, and a nuanced take on what they're dealing with over there. So to me, this is kind of like a primer of just understanding Hungary politics and what happened and the revolution that they had all done within this kid who's just trying to chill. Like this kid does not care. He, <laughs> you, you have people who are fighting for the country in different ways and this kid just wants to like sneak into pools. Um, I wish I had a picture of the teacher, bro. I kid you not. It's Hassan the streamer. <laughs> oh, yeah? I wish I had a picture, bro. The police man bun and all. Uh, so I found it funny that he was the liberal leading one, literally talking at his pace and everything. Some meta casting there, maybe. Yeah, uh, I'd be very curious to see people's thoughts on it, especially if you're from Hungary. Let me know more of the nuances here. But very well directed, very well written film. I'm just missing that extra um, attachment to it or understanding of it. But it won the big Golden Hugo for it. So explanation for everything. Uh, also, their submission, if I'm not mistaken. So. And one to keep on the radar nice. if you're looking up the shortlist. Uh, the Crime is Mine is a really funny one. Uh, I believe it's a French film that is just really goofy in the sense of it being two friends who one wants to be an actress, the other wants to be a lawyer. The actress got denied a role, and then the guy who denied her ends up dead. The lawyer goes, Ooh. how about I write a role for you? Just say you did it, and we'll make you super famous. And she becomes super famous. That is until... The real murderer, played by the one and only Isabelle Huppert, appears, mm. and more chaos ensues. It's so goofy, bro. It's so yeah, it over feels the top. Farcical from that description. This and anatomy back to back is a crazy <laughs> double feature. It it is the most whimsical take on that. Um, I'm not gonna say it's the greatest movie, but I also don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's a really fun watch. So if you're curious on this, uh, keep it on your radar. The crime cool. is mine. A funny little comedy. Um, one that I know you are not going to have the patience to see in a theater, which is why I waited for a screening link, shout out to the festival for that one, is do not expect too much from the end of the world. Uh, you're the one who told me about Looney Porn, uh, which was this director's previous movie. I haven't yep. been able to see it. It did play at Chicago, but I haven't seen it because they um, have not Censored released the official Hulu? cut. Yeah. Yeah. Break that down. They, the uh, film opens with like a... 10 minute sex tape or something and it is very integral to the plot of the film but uh, I don't think those things fly on Hulu so they just censor the whole thing and there's lots of like text on screen like there's a sex scene here we couldn't show it to you so here's some others it's it's funny it's a comment on itself but it's not the original cut of the film yeah, and I feel like he's got that same energy going on here when it comes to this film because this is a movie in where you're following a driver. And when I say you're following a driver, you are following this driver. She is a girl who also vlogs with a filter, pretending to be like Andrew Tate, like name dropping him and all. And it's supposed to be satirical. Uh, people are like, why are you talking like that? But she's doing these, she's doing like a Borat, right? The, the over the topness in her vlogs is meant to be a joke on who she's making fun of. Um, she specifically works for Nina Haas, which is why I had this movie on my radar, who is yeah. running this company who's looking for her to hire the spokesperson that the company needs who's just really going to be their scapegoat. So she is driving hours upon hours to these different places to record people who 
got hurt on the job and should be suing the job, but the job is trying to buy them out. Because if one of them can submit uh, a good spokesperson type uh, memo, they'll be able to uh, be the, the front runner and they get like a measly check. But in the meantime, they're also getting them all to submit, yes, I'm to blame for not wearing my helmet when that was never like the issue. Um, like Zach explained with the other one, it's very, this is a director who definitely takes his time. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, to showcase how much he's driving, damn, do they show you how much he's driving. But there's some banger moments in here. There's some really good satirical takes on here. Um, uh, very well-written script. It's just a movie that's 164 minutes long. I had the privilege to see it at home. So that's definitely going to be a completely different take than sitting in a theater for three hours to take this in. And boy, were there a lot of three-hour movies this year. Um, I haven't seen Looney Porn. But I do dig his direction. I dig the style and the approach that he takes for his movies. And I would recommend it for the film fans out there, for the Oscar uh, aficionados out there, because I believe this is their submission as well. Um, Romania. Is it Romania? I think so. There's like so many. It has to be. Romania is one of the countries here. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of greatness in there, but it's very difficult to recommend it, obviously, to a mainstream audience. But it is yeah. pretty good. And Something that my I talk film. about sometimes with those like really meaty long films is that like the experience of watching it sometimes isn't the most pleasant. Like you get restless, but then having watched it, you really appreciate because there's yeah. good stuff in there. So yeah, maybe not if that the idea of sitting down for something that long is just intimidating to you. Maybe it's not for you. Yeah. But if you're not intimidated by that, sounds like there's going to be some interesting stuff there. Uh, the actress who you saw uh, on the front as well, she ended up being the uh, winner of oh. uh, Best Actress for Chicago as well. And honestly, yeah, I'd give it to her. She does a lot. She's really good in the movie. So Very shout cool. out to her. Um, getting into it. That was all of my little honorable mentions. I have a bunch of other ones as well. I'll be making a whole Let Me Explain, kind of going through all of the little tiny pics, some behind-the-scenes pictures that we have. But those were pretty much the biggest ones that didn't make my top ten. These would be my top 10 films from the Let's Chicago International Film Festival. The first one that I have is one that we were not able to catch at TIFF a while back. It's a movie called The People's Joker that had such a splash uh, over the border because it was breaking copyright laws, because it was talking about uh, obviously a, a massive DC character to the point that WB shut this movie down reportedly, allegedly, supposedly. Don't know how that story came to be or what happened because they claim WB didn't really say anything, but they might have said something. It ended up reminding me a lot of that movie from a couple of years back, almost a decade now, where they filmed inside of Disney. Yeah, and Beyond Tomorrowland or something, something like that. Something like that. I, yeah. And they filmed it in secret. It's Escape in black and white. Yeah. Escape from Tomorrow. Thank you. Beautiful poster, if I, if I recall. And mm. in that movie, they were so afraid that they were going to get like copyright stricken. But they were able to put it out in festivals, which is exactly what this movie was able to do. A lot of movies at festivals can release a film and it can have copyrighted music, anything, because you're trying to sell it. And whoever buys it either needs to clear the rights or they change it up. The DC aspect of it isn't even the issue here. It's the amount of music they put in this thing. If mm. you get the chance to see, if you're curious in the, of this movie at all, you need to see it at a film festival because this is going to be cut up to bits. I'm going to be honest. This did not look like my cup of tea. This looked like vomit. It looked like garbage. It looks like one of the ugliest movies out there. Yeah. 
and it's exactly how it needs to be shot. Uh, this is a mixed media type movie. A lot of people I've been seeing uh, trashing it because they called it a, a Doug Walker movie. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> I don't know why you're admitting to the public that you watch Doug Walker. But this is Adult Swimish, bro. Vera Drew has worked yeah. on a lot of different uh, projects with people who are massive in this awkward type of space, in this like... Yeah awkwardly edited thing that's done on purpose it's done for a reason i would yeah. say doug walker is trying his best <laughs> they're doing it for a, for, for a reason right. this feels a lot more like punk rock than whatever it is doug walker is doing bro and that's what got me i was look i'm, I'm just gonna be honest i did not think this was gonna be up my alley i thought mm -hmm. this looked corny i honestly thought like they were just trying to stir up a lot of things to get attention Nah, bro, this is the, I cannot name you a more punk rock movie, dude. There are people calling this some sort of Reddit movie. I get it. Anything close to whatever. Yeah, I, I understand. It's going to be too close to internet talk or whatever. This movie breaks so many copyright stuff. It's, it goes hard, dude. Vera Drew is a G. There are stuffs within the, stuff within the script that isn't just, uh, super infatuated with, um, DC culture, like they understand um, the lore of Batman and the Joker so much. Like if you're a fan of anything dealing with Batman, they, I think, shout out every incarnation of him from the bat nipples to the animated series. There is a <laughs> lot of love there. Yes, it looks like garbage because it's doing this mixed media approach. But like you can feel not only the passion of a fan, but then the way they translate it to their, you know, I don't want a coming out story, coming to be story. I thought it was actually pretty beautiful. But the way that they call out the industry, because the the, the point of the movie is that they're playing um, a person who grows up in Smallville, who instead of saying that they're really sad, gets given Smilex. So they're drugged up. They're doped mm. up. When they leave to go be a comedian at what's SNL, run by a Lorne Michaels cutout... <laughs> They realize that the establishment is what they need to go after. There is so much punk rock themes to this movie, dude. They, they call out political figures and not the ones you think they're going to be calling out. Not the easy targets. They are ballsy with this, dude. They call out big comedians. There are some lines here <laughs> about trust fund kids and how they're the ones running things and they're not really telling you the real stories that they're supposed to. This has to be one of the biggest surprises from the festival. I am... I'm astonished I had it in my top 10. I thought this was going to be very much a movie for a particular audience that wasn't going to be me. And they ended up knocking it out of the park. I know it's not going to be for everyone because of the style. Uh, it's very goofy. It's very over the top. And towards the, the, the ending, I thought it kind of, I don't want to say lost it, but wrapped it up in a way where that energy from the beginning kind of mellowed out. Mm. Um, very interesting after credits. And it seems like they're going to continue this style of parody, satire, F copyright with uh, a horror take next. Ooh. But, bro, I, look, I was the biggest um, critical person coming to this movie. Mm -hmm. So I can't give it a better recommendation than, than how surprised I came out of it. Very, very dope take for the People's Joker. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, like you, am just kind of curious when, if it does get released in a more widely available way, what kind of form it will take? Because not just the, like you were saying, yeah. not just the, the character copyright issues, but all that music. Um, I hope it can retain and that footage. spirit and that energy, but 
Who knows? If that's part of it. It's saying screw that. You know, like the, the closest thing I can think of it is in hip hop when when people will sample and, and they can't clear it, so it'll never make the album. But it's like that's yeah. fine. It'll go on Dat Piff. It'll go on right. SoundCloud. Like yeah, they you're just gotta releasing upload it, it for free, bro. If they do that, that'd be the most punk rock thing ever. I like the energy in the movie a, a lot more than 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 I expected. Now it is it's a very dope take. Shout out to People's Joker. At number nine is a movie that I know a lot of people have been loving. Like, absolutely adoring. And you and I thought it was good. It was solid. Zach gave his takes on all of us strangers when he covered it over for the New York Film Festival. I got to see it at a press screening where everyone was just crying and sniffling. It's the story of two men who live in a building where they're pretty much the only ones there. And eventually, since they're both gay men, they start uh, being each other's company but one of them in particular has a lot of baggage that they have not gotten over. And the way they deal with that baggage is done in a very, I'll just put it, Paul Mescal movie type of way. This man is always gravitating to these types of stories, in my opinion. And Broken all people. I can say is, yeah, it's going to hit for the people it's going to hit. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about it. But I may not love it as much as other people um, are infatuated with it at the moment. But it's solid performances all around. Uh, the approach that these two take in terms of uh, being together and uh, how they're dealing with their grief, I thought was really well done. Um, Andrew Scott has, in my opinion, the cry scene of the year. But there were some awkward moments. I don't know if you saw it with press or if you saw it. You saw it publicly, right? Because you ended up not being able to go to the press. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it publicly, so I was also accompanied by a, a room full of sobbing people. We had a critic. When a spit scene happens, that man choked. I couldn't tell if he was disgusted or if he was common. It was the <laughs> weirdest take that we had at the press screening. <laughs> but, uh, look, I think it's a very well-written script. I think it's very emotional. Uh, and I, I have it as a recommendation. Uh, nothing to take away from it. I just know that some people are going to be attracted to this a lot more than I am. But shout out Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. The next one that I have is Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackberry. I want to say this is Georgia's submission um, about a woman who just lives in the small town who ends up finding herself very late in age. She's a virgin and it isn't until she's this much older that she realizes this new, you know, more wild side to her. And I would compare it a lot to movies that we've seen from Sundance and South by about older women with Mama Cruz. Um, Chicago had one that won a couple years ago. I'm blinking on the name of it. Um, But there was another one earlier this year, uh, Chronicles of a Wandering Saint. Chronicles of a Wandering Saint still takes my older lady coming of age uh, crown. But I think Alina ended up having this one top that, if I'm not mistaken. I- I'd have this one at third. I still think Mama Cruz is even better than this one. Okay. But like, hey, it's solid perspective, solid story, great performance. It- it's been a trend, but it's like, yo, I-, I think it's less that they're realizing this is a story you can do, but it's them finally getting the money to do these stories. And right. now they're all coming out and doing it, you know? Um but all three have been able to do a really good job at covering the same ground, but still have their own kind of take on it. And I think the lead performance was really good, and it was just very adorable to see her come to her own, not just with herself, but from the people around her, the people she's never talked back to. Um, and a very solid choice to be the country's submission. I'd be rooting for this one to make it to the shortlist. May not make it all the way, but a, a really solid pick. When I went to go see Zone of Interest, there was a, an elderly duo behind me. They didn't know each other. 
they like <laughs> I don't know if they started dating, man. They started giving each other pics. They came to the, this movie. They're like, did you see Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackberry? <laughs> they knocked it out. They kept talking even through like the intro of the uh, Chicago overlay. This movie may connect people. It's the new man, Kazak, is all I'm saying for elderly uh, letterbox critics out there. So Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackberry. Um, a really good take. And we, we got to give this genre a name. And the older lady coming of age sagas that are out there. Uh, the Stella's Got Her Groove back. Stella's genre. Got Her Groove. I like that. Uh, the next one that I have is Paradise is Burning. This is a movie about three sisters who don't have a mom because she's decided to dip out. She's somewhere else entirely. And the older sister is now stuck taking care of the younger ones. The middle one is in that in that position where she takes her sister for granted because the sister won't tell her the problems that are going on. So the middle sister just assumes that everything's okay and is uh, looking at her sister as not being the parent or the guardian that she could be if she wanted to. And then you got the youngest one who's just eating a bunch of snacks throughout it. I thought this was an incredibly well-casted movie. All three sisters do a fantastic job. The uh, The main premise that, the, that they're dealing with is that child services has called and they need to get someone to play their mom. And only the older sister knows this. And if she can't get someone to play the mom, all their sisters are going to be split apart. It hmm. is a funny yet very sad movie uh, that, again, is anchored by the dynamic that the sisters have with each other and does a really great job at showing you how, um, through everything that they're going through, each one has a completely different perspective from the other, and it's them not sharing uh, what they're going through that causes more of a rift than thinking that hiding the the, the bad stuff um, would be the better thing to do. Uh, I really loved it. I think the ending is fantastic. It's it's very very melancholic, and I would recommend this one very very highly. And it goes uh, very well with my next pick, which is Sisterhood, another one mm. of a trio of girls in France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the, the title to this, funny enough, they changed it right at a tiff. The title was HLM Pussy, because I want to say that's the projects that they live in, and that's like the gang name that they want to come up with. But pretty much, you have three friends who come from different sides of the track. These two over here kind of live in the poorer side of town, whereas this girl on the left's a little bit richer. But the girl on the left is kind of passing, even though she is uh, Middle Eastern. And she she's, has this incredible moment with her father about, uh, again, kind of the, the, the same turmoil of the father keeps a lot from the daughter, so the daughter thinks of him as like a bad dad, when in reality, the dad's just looking out for her, and there's an incredible scene that they have. But what really happens is that this girl tries to help out the other two because there's some, let's just call it, really shady male figures in the uh, building that are kind of abusing and taking advantage of them. And she thinks that leaking a video is going to help and it only makes things worse. Not just jeopardizing them and where they live, but also jeopardizing their friendship. People have been comparing this to Lahaine. I, I think any movie comes mm. out and they want to throw Lahaine out there if it's French. Uh, Lahaine's a classic. Yeah, I'd say it's in the spirit of it, um, but I really like the performances in here and just that idea of, again, being able to not just see the different perspectives, but how those different perspectives clash with each other if they're not being honest with each other. Um, Sisterhood, very good movie, um, and I'd keep it on your radar. Let's see. Very I cool. am on my number six over here, which, funny enough, we uh, both talked about it, Anatomy of a Fall. We talked yeah. about it earlier in the uh, live stream, but... Uh, here I'll give it a mention in terms of it being the France submission that was not. Now, Zach has said that uh, Taste of Things, which sadly I missed, I didn't get to catch it at the festival, uh, is the right pick for France. But it Narrowly. seems like 
it seems like the people love Anatomy of a Fall. And it's pretty good. I think it's a really yeah. solid procedural movie about an incident that happens uh, on this um, kind of like what cabin out in the middle of nowhere yeah. uh, where two writers um, may have had some turmoil in the past, which yeah. causes this death to lead into a, magi- uh, a massive court case where people suspect the wife as being the killer. Yeah, it's a it's a did she do it movie, right? And, yeah. and they really, really stick with that did she or didn't she do it the whole way through in a way that for some people will be like amazing because they'll be able to like get into arguments about it. And for some people might be a little bit uh, frustrating because they, they might want a clearer answer. I thought it was pretty great. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we talked about it before and I'm sure it's going to continue to be in the discussion as we as people start assembling their best of the year lists, although I probably will fall short of mine, I guess pun uh, intended. <laughs> uh, it's got a limited release right now, so it's getting a yeah. big rollout and uh, we'll be discussing it more. And we had more thoughts earlier on in the uh, live stream as well, but I think it's really solid. I think I'd root for her as a, as a lead performance because I think they do a lot oh, of yeah. really great stuff with her, especially with the way that she, uh, the way she meshes in with the camera work. I, I I thought the camera work was funny, but I'm actually coming more around to it the more that I think about it. I think yeah. it's there, I think there's it's some moments used. that have almost like a behind the scenes of a news van Succession style footage. Style. <laughs> it's like is... yeah, it's or it's like uh, like the type of zoom where the camera is like trying to yeah. find their next shot. Uh, it, it's really interesting, but uh-huh. I mean, uh, yeah, this is a this is a really solid movie. So you've got it all the way down at number five on your best of the festival that means you must have seen four pretty solid movies uh for for other pretty solid movies nine eight seven six five you're right i do have it at five i guess i have one two three four i do have four okay so it's in my top five that's not bad that's top five that's top five that's solid but i did have a couple of other ones that really that, that really stood out Goodbye, Julia was the first movie I saw at the fest uh, in Ooh. terms of in-person screenings. And this is the submission for Sudan, I want to say. It nice. is the story of uh, two completely different women um, in Sudan, which, again, I think this movie did the best job of kind of breaking down the politics without sitting you down and breaking down the politics. You see it through the characters. There are riots that are happening in the streets because the more fair-skinned people up north in North Sudan... Did you even know they were split? They feel they're getting infiltrated by the southern Sudanese who are darker. And there's riots on the streets and all these different things that are happening. And obviously the clashes of religions. And I didn't even realize it until halfway through the movie because I'm watching it subtitled. Different languages that they're all speaking. The main catalyst is that you have a couple who can't have children. So there's kind of some back and forth turmoil happening within their their relationship who one day decides to go out driving and hits a kid. And in hitting that child, the husband to this woman right here in red, Julia, chases after her, which again, the context of the political turmoil and the riots that have been happening leads an incident to happen that leaves her and her child without a father. And so the guilt in this woman has her take them, uh, leads her to taking them in to become the maid without them even knowing that the only reason she's taking pity on them is because she's responsible for the father who is not there. This movie is expertly written. The performances in here are incredible. It does a fantastic job of not just talking about, you know, the politics, like I said, but through these characters so that you can really feel it. 
but just different things in terms of how people approach their beliefs, their faith, their relationships. There are some fantastic lines in here about, can you forgive somebody if you can't reconcile? And one person brings that up for their storyline and you realize, damn, you just said a line that could apply to three other characters. Somebody else will talk about how they approach the subject and it's like, dang, and you can apply that and answer that over there. Dude, this is such a well-crafted, beautifully directed, from a new director as well. Shout out Mohamed Kordofani. Um, I wanted to see more, more awards come this way. Just the way that they're able to handle all the subject matter was uh, beautifully done. I would highly, highly recommend this one. This is one that I want to see higher up in the shortlist when it comes to the international Oscars. And uh, I hope it gets a full release because uh, it, it was a beautifully told story and really stood out with me throughout the rest of the fest. Goodbye, Julia. Very interesting. This next one, you just got the screener for, so I'm very curious your yeah. thoughts. On the Promised Land, which we missed out over in Toronto, this is... What is his name from? Denmark? Denmark submission, I want to say. Yeah. And uh, it's it's about a guy who's technically a bastard, so when he went off to war and he comes back, he kind of wants to have his own land, and nobody nobody really takes him seriously, and much less more seriously, when he's like, I want to I want a piece of land over there that no one's been ever... No one's ever been able to do anything with, and I want to grow potatoes. It's a potato farming movie, and that definitely sounds very boring. I loved this movie. I thought his character and that dynamic of him feeling like the underdog while then working with the outsiders who need to help him because none of the uh, higher-up people want to give him the benefit of the doubt was beautifully told. Uh, you know, There's some cliche moments, that, that old Spielberg trick of showing you something. There's one dealing with a stick that comes back to play later on in the movie. I'm a sucker. I don't know, man. I was, just feel, I was really feeling the movie that day, and it hit me on all cylinders. I can see people, and I've heard people say... That's pretty slow and, and maybe very cliche. Not that it's bad, but that they don't really love it. It just hit on all cylinders. I think it's beautifully mm. shot as well as you uh, as, as they mix and match the terrain where he's working out there. Um, that's just horrible, horrible and just... It, it's called Promised Land, but its original title is Bastardin. And this is a bastard land where he lives in. Like, it's just terrible compared to when he comes back home and they're living in royalty. They're living in, like, all this lavish lifestyle back in the day. Um... I liked all the twists and turns in the script. I think Mods gives an incredible performance. And I personally would highly recommend it and hope that it makes it up on the short list when it comes to uh, the end of the year for Denmark. A very good movie. And I'm very curious your thoughts once you, once you catch the screener. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's got Mod. Ma- oh, shoot. Oh, no. Zach loved it so much. I think he dipped. But, uh, yeah, Promised Land is Denmark's submission. I think it's going to be a very interesting pick when it comes to awards season. Because when it comes to Denmark, this man's usually a shoo-in. You were saying? Uh, no, uh, yeah, we were talking about mods. But the film itself also sounds uh, pretty interesting. Seems like a pretty like methodical kind of movie in terms of its pacing. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a, a movie out there that you'd compare it to just because, like, it doesn't necessarily sound serene the way a movie like Patterson that's also slow moving no. is, right? It's it's something different. Yeah, it's more like Minari. Where it's yeah, just like, was, just give me this land. I was thinking when you were talking Give, give me this it. land and let me see what I could do. I, I know I'm like behind yeah. <laughs> a, a lot and it's an uphill battle, but yeah, they, he's just doing everything that he possibly can to get there. So, uh, no, I really liked it. I thought it was a, a, a standout picture. Um, getting into my top two. I have a movie that when I saw, I came straight back home and we were recording some stuff. And I'm like, Zach, I don't know if I could ever watch this movie again. This is the most depressing thing. Like, this is just nothing but... 
it's a traumatic movie that almost doesn't even show you the trauma. The Zone of Interest, a film based off of a novel that supposedly doesn't even cover the novel at all. They pulled a Stanley Kubrick Shining with this and kind of just use it as a reference for the name. The name, as I just found out this morning, is the 40 kilometers around Auschwitz that they considered the Zone of Interest. And the movie follows the commander and his wife, who considers herself the queen, uh, who live right outside. It comes from the guy who made Under the Skin, so this is a movie that you definitely need to see in a theater because just like Under the Skin, Michael Levy returns to do the score. It opens with a minute of just that score, letting you know, as Zach put, uh, we were having a discussion, putting you in, in, in the mode that this is a movie you need to listen to. Break down yeah. what you were mentioning from the, uh, the sound designer. Yeah, well, so in uh, Q&A at the New York Film Festival, they were saying that the script that was... Um they developed a script for this film and they also developed a script of all the things that you don't see that you just hear. And that script was as long as the actual shooting script for the film. And it, you know, ended up being this uh, document that they worked off for the sound design. Uh, the sound design of this movie cost them about as much as it did to do the rest of this film because it feel is, it really really like immersive transportive it, you you feel that 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 whole like eerie atmosphere you know i wrote in my review of it that while it is like a quiet movie eerily it's never silent and there's so much in those little bits of natural sound that they get there you know you were mentioning that the movie opens with just sound i think that's that's jonathan glazer's way of indicating to the audience that you're not going to get this whole story unless you're listening to it as intently as you watch yeah. it. So I think it's a, it's a pretty, pretty remarkable film and a really interesting way to approach a story like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I was telling you as well when I came home, like, I hope this doesn't get that traction, that that pushback that Oppenheimer got, that Killers has been getting as well, because it's like, yeah, I mean, it is focusing on the Nazis, but it's not empathizing with them and a lot of people don't yeah. realize this this idea that humanizing a villain is because the humans are the villains like that's what's putting you into the shoes of or the boots i should say of these people who literally live right there there are some compositions where you're following them in a garden and then he decides to do this cut and it's like he slaps the audience in the face and you just mm -hmm. see all of it right there but you see none of it it's still hidden in plain sight and it's such a scary way to approach it. I saw it in a theater that I wouldn't consider the best audio uh, to, to, to have the best audio get up. Um, yeah. And even then, you, it still resonated. So I would highly implore you to catch it in like a theater that's got the best around sound because that's how the story's being told. Yeah, this is one where it's like, I mean, I don't know if it'll be in IMAX anywhere, but skip the IMAX. This is all For about the, the Dolby. Yeah. It's all about the mixing, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to catching the book so we can have a longer discussion on it in the future this poster right here is insane yeah it's insane I'm it be... really gets the yeah. uh, dread and, and ominousness of the film across for sure and and just letting you know like this is not a schindler's list they are not pulling at any dramatic points uh, at all this is a movie mm -hmm. where you're just sitting there going like we're just we're just following these people and you are like yeah. to make a lot of assumptions in their daily lives uh you'll see two people interact and you need to connect what happens after that scene what what precedes this one why did yeah. that where did that character go uh it's not holding your hand at all for any of it, it i don't know if i want to rewatch this one again 
Yeah. But I will say that ending, especially doubling it up with my recent watch of Killers of the Flower Moon, holy smokes. They have a lot in common. We'll we'll get into that uh, when we get into Killers of the Flower Moon, but there's definitely a lot in common there. No, that ending has a lot to... I feel like it'd be wrong to call any film that talks about like an atrocity like that melodramatic, but by comparison, this is like the least melodramatic. Like, there's no sensationalizing or, or like uh, dramatic music that tells you like how sad this moment is. Like, there's there's the Mika Levy score, but it's done. The story is told so plainly and so dryly, which kind of only makes it that much more chilling. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a drum movie. Like they're they're just boring people. Yeah. <laughs> they're just people who are who are just coming up with plans to to make the killings more efficient. And they got some family problems, and the kid may be a general, but he doesn't look like he's smart enough to be it. <laughs> You're just like following these, not just like regular foot soldiers. The guy, like it's it's a it's a, an insanely unsettling movie, um, and even more unsettling if you end up capturing it. Uh, with the correct mixing for it. But yeah, uh, crazy, crazy movie. I would highly recommend a movie that we've been bringing up in the past when mentioning this, uh, The White Ribbon, which after the Q&A, I realized it's the, it's the main guy from The White Ribbon, grown yeah. up, just a little older. So that's insane. Uh, a crazy double feature if you end up capturing these two together. Uh, the White Ribbon would definitely be one that resonated with me a lot. Catch both of these. They're, they're going to be insane watches. But don't go into the zone of interest thinking that that's the Saturday night movie with the boys. Nah, this is a thinking <laughs> movie right there. Zone of interest coming out by A24. Jeff saw Zone of Interest, uh, Jeff from Carscast, our buddy, back in uh, Toronto. And he was like, yeah, it was it was really hard to just like keep going about your day after so it's it. It's an opening movie, I want to say, is what he saw. It yeah, as. it was his first movie in Toronto. Yeah, I don't see how you follow up with anything else there. Um, but yeah. It feels like a cursed movie. I'm not going to lie. It feels haunted. It, I, I, I described it to somebody as not a haunting movie, but a haunted movie. It, it really yeah. feels like full of ghosts. They were sinning shooting this movie. And I, there's just something. There's something about how they, they captured these people that were so evil. Yeah. Um, but that that is Zone of Interest, a movie that I know is going to top for a lot of people. But my pick is one that was a surprise selection that came out right at the end. Poor things the newest yorgos lanthimos movie floored me floored me floored me coming in here with the live take with the live rating i'm gonna have to plug it in four and a half dog tooth has been one of my favorite movies from this man and i am not your average the new spider-man movie is better than the last spider-man movie i think that when i say that something is as good as what i feel was the uh the, their best movie Mm-hmm. That's me really coming out here and, and giving you my, my the, the biggest uh, endorsement that I could possibly give it. Poor Things may be better than Dogtooth. I don't think that he's reached this level like he has in any other movie. Um, we have a whole review for it, so we kind of have a whole breakdown there. It follows Emma Stone, who kind of is like this experiment uh, made by Willem Dafoe's character, who's this crazy scientist. He ends up inviting Rami Youssef, who plays his assistant. Emotions kind of unravel there. The older Bella Baxter gets, but then Bella Baxter decides to go on her own journey. What a great name, too. Bella Baxter. Um, incredible performance from Emma Stone. Incredible performance from Mark Ruffalo, though. Yeah. Probably my standout supporting... You had mentioned the breakdown of all of the supporting actors this year. And honestly, all the different just actresses and actor uh, categories. <sighs> I still have him at number one, even though De Niro's great. But damn, 
damn, is it going to be such a tight race at the Stacked end of the year? Um, I love this movie. Uh, in the review, you had broken down that you felt it was more mainstream. I feel like you didn't see it like as a bad thing, but you saw it as him kind of taking it away from his like quirkiness and zaniness. But I think yeah. it's him firing on all cylinders. It's almost like the Spielberg effect where Spielberg is able to take these crazy concepts and the idea, the way he's able to make it mainstream is what allows him to be the big director that he is. I loved totally. how he handled it here. It, I, I don't want to say that it's like him changing his ways for a mainstream audience. I think it's him Adapting? filtering his weird perspective in, in maybe a more palatable way, uh, uh, palatable, palatable package, I guess mm-hmm. I'd say. Like it's it's still got all the strangeness and uh in and like examinations of the weird nuances of human behavior that you come to expect from Yorgos Lanthimos film. But I feel like we go on a journey that we can relate to with Bella it's more so, so awesome. than, than we relate to a lot of his typical protagonists. For sure. Like Sacred Deer? There, there's a I shot don't relate to that dude at all. No, there's a shot in Sacred Deer with a shot gun that it's like, yeah, yeah. You're, you, you're just like making fun of the people who just bought a ticket to sit here. Yeah. The poor Things, I think, is definitely going to attract more people and uh, hopefully ends up becoming the thing that's the gateway to a lot of his other movies. Um, I'm going to get a copy of uh, Dogtooth because Alina's never seen it. Uh, she saw the trailer to it. She goes, this, this looks insane. I'm like, yeah. And, and watching the trailer, she was comparing a lot of the things that one of the kids goes through. To poor things. So I like how he's taken this this kind of th- these reoccurring themes that he's had throughout a lot of uh, his movies of ostracized people. And I, I think he knocked it out of the park with this one, man. Um, she may be my favorite performance uh, for lead actress right now. Definitely top five for just lead in general. I yeah. cannot wait for this movie to come out. It is just beautiful, beautiful in every single way. Catch us in a theater. The production design is fantastic. The audio mixing is fantastic. It, it's... It's raw, dude. Poor Things so is my good. number one movie from the Chicago International Film Festival. It's such a good time, and, and she is so, so incredible in it. Uh, I, I can't wait for more people to see it. I wish they hadn't delayed it so I, I'd have a chance to see it again. They delayed sooner. it? Well, they delayed it like months ago. Like It oh. was originally, it was originally supposed to come it. out September 8th. We would have, Whoa. It might have been on digital by now. Damn. Oh, wow. That, that is definitely a delay. There was a lot of other movies that got delayed out there at the festival, such as uh, Bike Riders, which I know got pushed because of the SAG, SAG AFTRA, which is supposed to be meeting this week as well. So we'll see how that comes out because a lot of these movies have those tentative December dates, but I don't know what they're going to be doing with them. Um, but these were my picks, my honorable mentions, my top 10 from the Chicago International Film Festival. If you were able to attend, let me know your thoughts down below, what your favorite theater was. My dog did get really sick. Uh, during it, Lady was was pretty bad, which is why I ended up missing a lot of like like sweet dreams. Um, uh, the the taste of things screening that I yeah. would have watched was around that weekend when she got sick. I didn't get to go to the Gene Siskel bit. If uh, people were out there at the fest, how you compared it to the previous fest, um, what you thought was cool, if this was your first one, um, but definitely your picks. Anything that I missed, let me know. And Lady's feeling better, right? We, Lady's we, feeling so all, much better. Everything's yeah. all okay. That's the most important thing. Bro, I was so scared, man. <laughs> It was insane. Yeah, you, you cannot be yeah. sitting at a theater for these three-hour-long movies uh, when you have, a, when you have a, a sick dog at home, the way she was sick. But, yeah, she was a lot better, and uh, she was happy to see that poor thing's got the number one spot at the Chicago International yeah. Film Festival. So let us know your thoughts down below. Other than that, Zach, give a big shout-out to the Intercuity patrons who allow 
these long old streams to go. <laughs> yeah, big, big thanks to our patrons uh, who are supporting the show for as little as $1 a month over on patreon.com slash intercutpod. They are in the academy tier. Tashar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Janicia, Tyler, and Benji. And then the producer-level patrons are Yudin Veer and Toon. You too can become a patron and get access not just to these really fun mid-show shout-outs, but also to our monthly patron Google Hangouts. I think the next one we're going to be doing next week, October 30th, a little bit of a, a Halloween stream for uh, the inner cuties. Uh, we also upload some episodes early, including all the Scorsese-tober lookbacks we've been doing, the Intercut Film Club stuff. So if you want a sneak peek of some episodes, chance to, chance to chat with us, your name featured on screen and read aloud by by my soothing dulcet tones, uh, all you got to do is head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod to sign up uh, to become a patron. And even if you don't want to give money or you can't give money, you can sign up uh, to follow the show on Patreon, become a member, and get access to some updates, some written updates uh, that are a good way to find out what we're doing in the upcoming months. The uh, Intercutie patrons were the first people to know that we are doing the uh, scorsese Tober Intercut edition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, if you want the, the latest news out of the pod, head over to patreon.com slash intercut. Wait, what did you say? What are we doing? Uh, you can sign up on Patreon for free and just get access to the updates. But what what, what was the update? I don't, did I get the update? <laughs> I told them, I, I sent out, uh, here's Scorsese-tober, guys. Oh, okay. I thought we picked the yeah. next director already. I'm like, wait, bro, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, do you want to do Fitcher-vember? I think we got to figure this out. Let's do it. I mean, yeah. we've already done the You're brackets. You're seeing the killer tonight. Up. I'm seeing the killer in two hours. Ooh, exciting, exciting stuff. But first, we have to talk Killers of the Flower Moon right afterwards. But we do. We got to wrap it up. Picks for the week. This Let's week, we have our picks. Started for this week. Uh, yeah. I'm going to start off with Silver Dollar Road. This is a movie that I was able to catch over at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's a documentary uh, about land. You know, if we're talking uh, a good companion piece to Killers of the Flower Moon, where people are like really hyper focused on that story, not realizing it's a story that ripples out and is representative of a lot of other stories, Silver Dollar Road would be that. It's playing on Amazon Prime, and it's a documentary about this family who owned this really good part of land that nobody wanted. And then, you know, some beachside stuff and it looks like it could be really hot real estate. And the story that they go through with what the, their, their, their relatives had to deal with in terms of having all of the legal paperwork but still getting screwed over and taunted, it's, it's a crazy story. This is going to be the basis to an incredible feature film. I can guarantee you that. So catch it over on Amazon Prime, Silver Dollar Road. The next one that I have is one that we both saw, and it's Chile's Oscar submission, The Settlers. This is yeah. a movie that uh, takes a very artistic approach. Not even that artistic, just a very subtle, uh, not breaking it down piece by piece, just letting you know, these are the guys who pretended to go expand fences for sheeps, when in reality they were setting the borders to Chile. And this is mm -hmm. how they did it in the most violent way possible. Um it's very limited at the moment, but it's a movie that's got these really great, uh, vast, scenic scenes that I would highly recommend catching in a theater if you're intrigued for it. The Settlers. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just also of the films we've gotten recently that sort of seek to document the brutality of uh, colonial violence. This is one of the ones that's really lingered with me in, in how uh, brutal and unfeeling a good it, take. it can be. Yeah. Um, keeping with it, uh, another TIFF recommendation would be the documentary Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make Believe. I was like, yo, this thing looks adorable, but this guy looks like, uh, he looks like he's a Mr. Rogers type. He worked with Mr. Rogers, right? There you <laughs> so, go. So uh, he comes from Canada, which is why it was a big selection over there in Toronto. It is out on Amazon Prime, and it goes through his life story and all of the good things that he did. Um, <laughs> look, call me old, bro. I cannot believe I'm, I'm having this as a recommendation. There is a new Frasier series that is out, and I'm not saying that the new take is, like, incredible, but it got me to go back to watch a couple of episodes from season one. The mm-hmm. only thing I know about Frasier is it playing on, like, what, B2 TV? I used to go collect comics, and uh, my comic guy used to play Frasier all the time. There you go. Yo, those old episodes are funny. I must be getting yeah. old, but they had us cracking up in bed bro uh yeah uh, uh, he's he's a funny dude i know he's like the writer producer director all of it um a lot of people forget that he's also beast in the original x-men uh movies but kelsey Grammer is that guy dude and uh he really had uh a lot of funny quips going on in those those first seasons yeah i mean it it's a classic for a reason like right one of the classic nbc sitcoms i i was a little bit concerned though that the reboot is not bringing his brother Niles back. I don't know if it's Frasier without David Hyde Pierce. And that's, that's what I felt when I went back to go see those old episodes. I was like, yeah, this is this dynamic right here is crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe he'll come back uh, the way that the, the remake does it or the reboot. Cause it's like a whole, it's different. Uh, again, you, you know, I'm always big about syndication. It is not connected to Frasier. It's its own installment as a reboot. Um, but it's his brother's son. So his nephew is kind of taking the place. And uh, huh. eh, not the same so far. But uh, yeah, those old episodes are great. Uh, wrapping my picks over here because we're going to have the shared one, obviously. Uh, I'm going to have Four Daughters, which I've mentioned as my top pick, out of Toronto. A crazy documentary that is looking at these, uh, at these sisters, two of which are still around. And two who aren't with them anymore, which is why they cast two actresses to play them in this documentary where the mother directs her own memories. Incredible, incredible, incredible. I'm going to keep recommending it throughout the year. I'm hoping that this one uh, makes not just a documentary list, but the shortlist for international feature in general. Exactly. Yeah, I'm hoping it opens in a theater near me because you've been recommending it since Toronto, so I'm excited to catch up with it. You're going to dig it. Take it away, dude, with your biggest pick of the week. I know it's one that we share. I know it's a little violent for some people. But Onyx and the Fortuitous uh, <laughs> and Talisman of Souls, if you want. You know, the thing about writer-director Andrew Bowser is he's got a keen eye for internet comedy. Uh, <laughs> Let me keep it a buck, bro. Let me keep it a yeah. buck. Zach has beef with the director right now. They've been going at it. It's akin to Tupac and Biggie at the moment. It's getting out of hand, and I've been sure. trying to make sure. I've been trying to make sure that things don't get out, you know. Because I think he's on the uh, other coast. He feels like a Denver guy. I, I don't know if he's shooters. from Denver. He, he may have talisman. <laughs> <laughs> but, yo, my man's been doing this thing where in film school they tell you never respond to the critics. And I've always been like, screw that. Man, I'm going to be like Uwe Boll if I ever direct a movie. Talk smack. And I'm going to go out there like Xavier Dolan. But now I see that you may you may come out looking like this guy, and it's getting a little it's getting a little too much, man. Uh, enjoy your movie. 
I was not as harsh as my my fellow inner cutters <laughs> here. Uh, they were being brutally honest. I'm, I'm gonna say one nice thing to the man. Really good production design and um, or production design. Production design was uh, <laughs> really good. Uh, puppets and puppeteering. That was really good. But damn, bro, Phil? your story is not doing any favors when people are critiquing you for <laughs> no. being a man baby, and then you acting like a man baby. You got Olivia <laughs> Taylor Dudley as as like your love interest in the movie. You're good, bro. You premiered at Sundance. Zach, get at him. <laughs> Look, uh, film and art in general are subjective mediums. There, there, there are lots of different opinions out there, and lots of them uh, are valid for different reasons. If you think your taste in movies is similar to my taste in movies, this might be one of the worst films you ever see. It is the most painful form of cringe internet comedy extended to a unrelenting 110 minutes? Whoa. Like, it, it doesn't even have the courtesy to be short. It, it goes on way too long, and I, I, I don't know if I will ever see a movie with a more annoying lead performance than the kind of nasal faux announcer voice that Bowser adopts for Onyx the Fortuitous. It is painful. Uh, Zach logged into the notion where we put our list, and he saw that I... Kind of took, <laughs> I kind of took all his picks off and put Onyx the Fortuitous five times. <laughs> it, like it's, it, I laughed, but I, I also felt a little bit personally attacked. Not as much as he has on that YouTube channel. Go check it out. The man, the man's created better content for YouTube, I guess, than he did for the movie. So at least there's that. Yeah. Zach, your real picks of the week, the first of which is getting one, two, three, four thumbs up from us here on Intercut. Let's do it, yeah. Let's talk a little more about Killers of the Flower Moon. It is a new Martin Scorsese movie. That alone That's it. should be enough to get you out of your seats what was those DMV? You saw theater. that DMV boy? Which one? The podcast that Twitter decided these are nobodies, oh. but if we can cut them out, we need someone yeah, to yell everybody's out. everybody's new favorite podcasters to make fun of whose favorite can... films are The Avengers and The Greatest Showman. Of course, we need to hear all of their opinions on films. Uh, trip yeah, for the provided, DMV. <laughs> provided you're not like those guys. You got to go see this. It's not... It's not... Uh, no, wait. Like do we need to, to say DMV something stupid is... to get an in and out Twitter viral moment? <laughs> Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, it's the most vitally important thing that you could do aside from getting your colonoscopy. Where was the after credits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where is the connection to the greater Scorsese-verse? We didn't even get... I wanted Ray Liotta to show up. There was no flowers on the moon. <laughs> but it's good. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. It's, we're going to be great. talking about Not it. much more we can say. Yeah, uh, we're going to be we talking about, talk it. about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more after this, too. Yeah, immediately. Uh, but, look, if three and a half hours and a movie theater sounds like way too much for you, the Criterion Channel has got the collection of Scorsese shorts available to stream, available to own if you're a physical media person, uh, the early film school shorts that he, he made, as well as his documentary about his parents, Italian-American. Italian-American is raw. Uh, Available to stream. That one even is available on YouTube. I don't know yes, if it's it legally there, but it is there. Um, so <laughs> he was on Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel said he saw it, and he goes, "Oh, you bought it?" He goes, "No, I saw it on YouTube." He goes, "That's fair." <laughs> yep. I got a yep. great point to connect Italian American to Killers of the Flower Moon. People oh, keep yeah? thinking he went woke. My man been at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you you don't you uh, don't agree with the notion that this is Martin Scorsese's first political film? <laughs> Bro, people think he's on Taxi Driver's side. 
they had this People man are... out there on on uh, I think it was like New York Times or whatever recapping yeah. his movies, and he goes, and he's not good. Travis Bickle not good. <laughs> I'm like, no, Marty. You made the movie. I know you're not a person to speak like that. They have him do an ending explains. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's trying to, you know, help the the people who don't understand his comments uh, maybe understand them. <laughs> he's re-releasing it, re-releasing it as bad fellow, Zach. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, um, dark timeline. Moving on from Martin Scorsese, we got some more picks that we can share with you. This one just got dumped pretty oh. unceremoniously onto Peacock. I had no idea. Whoa! But if you were the last, a movie that I think we both enjoyed a bit at least at at South by Southwest. Maybe I enjoyed it more than you. Uh, A quirky comedy starring uh, uh, Anthony Mackie and uh, Zoe Chow um, about a pair of astronauts who feel, who think they've been lost in space forever. Uh, I think it's like so twee that you could choke on it, but they've also got some really fun dialogue in this movie. Some really heartfelt and silly back and forths. I think the like middle third of this movie is some, some of my like favorite, uh, like existential dramatic comedy I've seen in a little while. There's also some other stuff in there that's maybe a bit hokey, but for a movie that's out on Peacock, I think you could do a lot worse. Perfect place to watch. Yeah. Um, I'll give a shout out to beyond utopia, which is out in limited release. It'll hopefully be expanding into more theaters. So maybe just keep this one on your radar. One of the more interesting documentaries that we saw at uh, Sundance this year, using hidden camera footage to document uh, some people escaping from North Korea, but also trying to mine into the psychological sort of toll that living in a country like North Korea and then no longer being there takes on some of these people and the, the de-brainwashing that they have to go through in certain uh, scenarios. It's not necessarily the most like groundbreaking uh, look into North Korea out there, but it is fascinating nonetheless. So I'll give that one a shout as well. Um, and then my last pick for the week is a movie I haven't had a chance to catch up with, but it'll be on Shutter on Friday, so I'm definitely going to catch it then. When Evil Lurks. I feel like, aside from Talk to Me, I haven't been that pleased with a lot of the horror movies that came out this year, and I'm looking for that, like, sick, sadistic, evil little movie out there that unceremoniously comes out, and then people keep whispering its name to each other. Yeah. And I think we found it. I think it's when evil lurks. Art, I don't know if you had a chance to catch up with it yet, but I'm hearing this is this is some fucked up movie. It, when it was uh, in theaters, it was right when Chicago had started, so I was trying to fit that in. You know, I was like, okay, I got some time in between Paw Patrol or when evil lurks, right? And the times just, they didn't coincide, but uh, I, we've been getting a lot of people saying, yo, you're sleeping on this, you're sleeping on this. We're about to wake up this Friday. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It was also a TIFF selection. Yeah. So uh, one of the Midnight Madness movies that I heard good buzz for. So I'm definitely looking forward to catching up with When Evil Lurks. So I'm very good. Recapping our picks for the week, I've got Silver Dollar, a documentary that I truly believe is going to be an Oscar-winning feature drama in the future, playing over on Amazon Prime. I have The Settlers, which is Chile's Oscar submission. Definitely one that you want to catch up on the big screen. Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Make-Believe, a guy who is pretty much the Canadian Mr. Rogers, now playing over on Prime. Frasier, because I'm old now, and uh, I'm recommending (laughs) the older seasons, because they are funny. 
uh, and I really like them. And of course, one of my favorite documentaries of the year, Four Daughters, which has a limited release. Zach? I'm also recommending we uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I think we're both recommending that one because you were really it is say a honest. new Martin Scorsese movie. And uh, new Martin Scorsese movie is worth paying attention to. Oh, also worth paying attention to some old Martin Scorsese movies. I'm recommending the Martin Scorsese shorts that are streaming on the Criterion channel. A good way to catch up with the beginnings of one of our most iconic filmmakers. Over on Peacock, I'm recommending If You Were the Last. It's twee, it's cute, it's kind of funny. Uh, and I think it's just like a good hang uh, available to stream at home. Beyond Utopia is out in limited release, a fascinating look at uh, North Korean at North Korean people and what it's like to escape that country. But then my last pick is what I'm hoping is going to be the Halloween movie of choice, the Evil sounding when evil lurks. Nasty poster. <laughs> Nasty poster. You know, I remembered uh, at South by you and the director of If You Were the Last had the same sweater, that same rainbow sweater. Yeah. So y'all need to get He's, an interview together. I know we've got a similar taste in fashion. Spare, spare I don't know if that's a the compliment or not, but it certainly is a thing. It's a South by director. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing. It's my people. Um, that's all for this week's show, though. Uh, you can follow more uh, from me at uh, LME Movies on all social media and over on YouTube at Let Me Explain. Zach, where can people find more from you? I am at Zshevich across social media, and my videos are at Multiplex Show on TikTok or YouTube. Uh, a reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast here on, this is an iTunes, uh, you can listen on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever yeah. your favorite podcatcher is, uh, and you can catch the live videos here on YouTube.com where we go through all of the weekend must-watch picks. Uh, we've been talking about having a lot of these live streams be segmented into their own little parts, because obviously, like with the tabs, and I'm very curious to see if everybody's browsers does this. Mine just updated on mobile. It's a completely new experience now uh, for the way that all of my stuff appears, but uh, since all of our lives go over on the live stream thing it's a perfect way to cut up some vod's from this segment and post them up there so let us know your thoughts on any recommendations that you have either here or in those independent videos a big shout out to all the inner cuties who listen live all the patrons all the itunes listeners who give us that five star review don't forget to leave us a comment drop a like follow the socials over at intercut pod and until next time keep watching movies and we may send you a, a friendship bracelet and i expect that one lanyard did it myself